Your Space Coast vacation is preparing for liftoff. Start counting down now. 10, 9, 8, 7, it's time for a beach vacay that feels like heaven. 6, 5, 4, come explore Melbourne and the beaches. 3, 2, 1, it's time for some rocket-filled fun. Count down to your best beach vacation ever on Florida's Space Coast. Launch your planning now at visitspacecoast.com. The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available Pro-Access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. An available ProPower onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on it on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. How many of the serial killers covered on Time Suck have been white heterosexual men? Guys who look kind of like, uh, or maybe exactly like, I don't know, my dad or Pat Sajak. Most of them by far. And who is the most common victim of these serial killers? Most often, the answer is young white women. Very few serial killers are female. Less than 10% of confirmed U.S. serial killers are female. And way fewer uh, are also either former professional wrestlers or at least former wannabe professional wrestlers who target elderly women. But that's who Juana Barraza was. Juana Barraza was the first and, as far as we know as of this recording, only serial killer in Mexican history who had an entire task force dedicated to catching her. Her identity and gender were a mystery at the time of the murders. The press and police called the killer the old lady killer. And for the overwhelming majority of their investigation, most of them assumed the killer was a man. A big, burly, strong man with large and powerful hands. Hands capable of one strangulation after another. Between 1998 and 2006, roughly 50 elderly women, at least 48, sources vary a bit with some stating 49 victims, were killed in Mexico City. These poor women were attacked inside their homes, strangled with their own possessions. And then despite what some sources say, there has been a lot of shoddy reporting done regarding this case. The killer often stole from victims. All the victims were older women who lived alone. The murders of so many elderly women were deeply shocking and upsetting in a culture that prizes matriarchs even more than our own culture does here in the U.S. Catching became a top priority for the police to solve these murders. When witnesses at the scenes of some of the murders kept seeing a woman who fit the same description, the majority of law enforcement assumed the old lady killer, El Mataviatitas, must be a man in disguise, dressing as a female nurse to earn the lonely victim's trust. It was difficult, almost impossible for most investigators to accept that a woman could be such a brutal killer. In a culture that assigns historically much more stereotypical traits to each gender, a predominantly male investigative force just did not think that women, for lack of a better phrase, had it in them to strangle a bunch of people. Women's nature 
just too gentle and nurturing for this type of crime. And the exceptionally rare woman who may have wanted to kill person after person with her bare hands, even elderly women living alone, well, she just she just couldn't be strong enough to commit such a crime, could she? You know, were her lady muscles even capable of such a thing? There really was a lot of backwards thinking going on in this case. Juana Barraza was, due to the cultural perceptions of women in general, an extremely unlikely suspect for the crime she committed, which undoubtedly helped her continue to kill as long as she did. She was never on law enforcement radar, even when she was finally caught. Some officers remained so convinced that a woman was incapable of committing the old lady murders that they had her strip searched, asking a female officer to check and make sure that she didn't have a penis. Seriously. Once they got Wana talking, though, in several ways, she fit the classic profile of a serial killer. She was sexually abused during her childhood. She'd been abandoned by her father when she was just a baby. Her mother physically and emotionally abused her continually before giving her to a sexually abusive man who would rape her repeatedly. She hated her mother for never protecting her. And as time went on, she developed a deep-rooted hatred of maternal figures in general. Didn't take much for her to despise any woman old enough to be her mother. In the end, Juana would be convicted of 16 murders and sentenced to 759 years in prison, the longest sentence ever handed down to any killer in Mexico's history. She's also thought by many who worked on her case to be responsible for the deaths of 48 or possibly 49 older women, all of whom were violently strangled to death. In this episode, we'll discuss the history of serial killers in Mexico, the life and crimes of Juana Barraza, how she maybe became a professional wrestler and then used her Lucha Libre skills against victims and more on this week's Sunday, 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 the Lady of Silence takes on your grandma in a cage match fight to the death. Very true crime meets kind of fake wrestling edition of Time Suck. This is Michael McDonald and you're listening to Time Suck. (laughs) You're listening to Time Suck. Happy Monday, Meat Sex. Welcome to the Cult of the Curious. Bienvenidos al Culto de los Curiosos. I'm Dan Cummins, Suckmaster, guy who obviously could have been the greatest NFL player of all time, but just chose not to really pursue that because, you know, CTE and stuff. Uh, double Omega Giga Chad, and you are listening to Time Suck. Hail Nimrod, hail Lucifina. Praise be to good boy Bojangles and glory be to Triple M. A couple quick things and then so much show. Uh, thanks to several of you for writing in to let me know that my stand-up is back up on Pandora. Hooray! Uh, once again, you can listen to all my old albums on there uh, for free. And I'm sure I'll eventually get audio from my most recent release, Trying to Get Better, that still exists only on YouTube, uh, up on Pandora. Finally, after a lot of lawyering, I was able to get out of some big beef between my former publishing company and SiriusXM and Pandora, uh, a beef I never wanted to be a part of in the first place. Love Pandora. So many of you have found this podcast because of Pandora and so uh, happy that now hopefully this nonsense is in the past. So if you'd like to create a Dan Cummins station, thumb up some tracks. It is a free way to help my stand-up audience stay engaged so that when I do tour again someday, I can tour again to my own crowd again. And by the way, thank you uh, thank you to those who showed up at the Blue Note in Honolulu uh, just recently, my, uh, my last stand-up show for a while. 50th State uh, I performed and that was fun to check that box. Uh, but yeah, just wanted to let you know that I'm back up on Pandora and it's uh, free to listen to. Also, the Cummins Family Scholarship Fund, presented by Bad Bad Magic, is almost here again. Bad Magicians can begin applying for one of four $5,000 scholarships as of March 6th. Applications due by April 24th. We're excited to increase the number of scholarships from three to four this year. So thank you. 
Uh, thanks to each and every Patreon member who helped make that happen. You can visit badmagicproductions.com, click the scholarship banner, be linked over to the Scholarship America page for the application. Easy peasy. Uh, I will remind you again as it gets closer. Just wanted to give you a, a heads up. And last quick thing. Thanks so much for the good feedback on the new short sucks. Uh, so glad many of you seem to love them. Uh, I am definitely having a blast with them. And that's it. Ahora, hablemos de la Dama del Silencio. Okay, so here's how we're laying this out. Uh, first, we're going to start with an overview of Mexico City, where the uh, Mata Viejitas murders took place, followed by a brief discussion of serial killers' place in Mexican history, and then a timeline of the life and crimes of Juana Barraza. Mexico City is uh, not only the largest city in Mexico, it's the largest city in the Milky Way, slightly bigger than uh, uh, Flala La Whittlesticks on Kepler 186F amongst the Cygnus constellation, capital of the Andromeda Confederacy, with a population of approximately 20 million rebel Arcturians whose ancestors left uh, Boades constellation over a thousand years ago. At least that's what some fellow truthers and I uh, have recently uncovered. But don't listen to us. We're continually written off just being crazy tinfoil hatters for merely suggesting that A, the Arcturians are real. B, they have cloned Corey Feldman, Avril Lavigne, and many of other uh, Earth's most important celebrities and sharpest minds. And C, they are currently using 5G cell phone towers to infect us with viruses that diminish our cognitive abilities and make us easier to control as mindless shapel. Probably took that uh, nonsense a bit too far. Uh, what I should have said was Mexico City is the largest city in all of North America with a population of over 9.2 million people living inside the city limits and just under 22 million people living in the metro area uh, as of last count, which means probably over 22 million people living there now. It is the fifth most populous city in the world behind Tokyo, Delhi, Shanghai, and Sao Paulo. Uh, Tokyo's urban area population is now an outrageous 37.5 million. That's fucking crazy. That's roughly 20 times the amount of people living in all of Idaho, lumped into one massive concentration of urban living. That's almost 10 million more people than Delhi, the world's second most populous city. Uh, you could take the entire Los Angeles metro area, the world's 23rd most populous city, double it, still need to add the entire Dallas-Fort Worth metro area around the world's 60th biggest urban area to almost have as many people that, as, as our Tokyo has by itself. Sorry, I'm easily distracted by numerical anomalies like that. Uh, this story has nothing to do with Tokyo or uh, flu la la whittle sticks on Kepler 186F or whatever the fuck I was saying. Uh, the real history of Mexico City dates back to either 1325 or 1327 CE, uh, officially recognized as 1325 since 1925, uh, when it was founded by the uh, Mexica, the term the Aztecs used to refer to themselves, their actual name. Uh, the Mexica uh, left their homeland of Aztalan, uh, located in present-day northwestern Mexico and the southwestern United States in the 12th century, arriving in the Valley of Mexico, where modern-day Mexico City is located by the early 14th century. After leaving uh, Aztalan, the original nomadic hunter-gatherers called the Mexica met with another group of Nahuatl-speaking peoples who lived in the Valley of Mexico, and their bloodlines converged. The Aztec Mexica people in the Valley of Mexico were agriculturalists who planted and raised fields that were often called floating gardens because they were typically surrounded by water. They also hunted and fished. According to legend, in the early 14th century, the Mexica, let's just call them Aztecs now, were looking for a permanent home when a priest named Tenoch had a vision where the sun and war god, Huichilopochtli, uh, 
Wichi Lepochli uh, instructed the Aztecs to look for a sacred site where they would find an eagle holding a snake in its beak perched on a prickly pear cactus. Uh, very specific instructions. I like it. That is some solid communication. A solid instruction. Don't just go find some random fucking snake and call it a day. Right? Don't find some random ass eagle and call it a day. Don't even think you're done when you see some eagle holding a snake. No, that eagle needs to be holding a snake and needs to be perched on not just any cactus, but a prickly pear cactus. Uh, the Aztecs found this sign on an island on the western edge of Lake uh, Texcoco. And in 1325, they founded the city-state of Tenochtitlan, situated in present-day Mexico City's historic center. The symbol from the priest's dream became the emblem of the city, uh, now part of Mexico's flag. Following the founding of their great capital, the Aztecs went on to have a pretty good run as a kingdom, built some badass pyramids and temples, uh, conquered many a rival, uh, sacrificed many a kid and a young virgin, a woman to Senteotol, uh, the corn god. You can't grow fucking corn without shedding some kid and lady blood. Ask any farmer. Then in the early 16th century, some Spaniards came along and fucked everything up for the Aztecs. Led by conquistador Hernan Cortes, the Spaniards arrived in Mexico in 1519, and then Spain would conquer Aztec territory in late 1521. Cortes would rebuild Tenochtitlan to erase all traces of the Aztecs. Although the Spanish preserved uh, Tenochtitlan's basic layout, they built Catholic churches on top of the old Aztec temples and claimed the imperial palaces for themselves. Tenochtitlan was renamed Mexico, which meant the place in the center of the moon in the Aztec's language. And it was named this because the Spanish found that word easier to pronounce. <laughs> Tenochtitlan, which I fucking get. I'd be changing all sorts of shit. All sorts of names. It's easier to pronounce stuff if I conquered basically any country. Even America. Especially Hawaii. About the only streets in Hawaii uh, that I can pronounce are the, are the ones with numbers. Just the numbered streets. Anything that has a word, coin toss at best. Uh, and now just like Tenochtitlan was the focal point of the Aztec Empire, Mexico City becomes the heart of Mexico and still is. Mexico City's metropolitan population constitutes about one-fifth of the total population of the country, is the economic center of the nation, and the capital also has the largest concentration of government jobs in the country. Most of the country's urban elite concentrated in Mexico City, where there are also millions of people living in poverty. Mexico City accounts for almost one-fourth of Mexico's total GDP. Over three-fourths of the city's income comes from the service sector and one-fourth from manufacturing. The service sector includes banks, other financial services, restaurants, hotels, entertainment, media, advertising and government, uh, tourism, also an increasing part of the service sector. Tourism in Mexico City has actually been booming in recent years, contrary to uh, what many people uh, seem to believe. Back in 2016, the New York Times listed Mexico City as the number one recommended destination to visit out of anywhere in the world. And just recently in November of 2023, Time Out Magazine listed Mexico City as the number one city in the world for culture. Uh, my sister spent a summer there learning Spanish in the early 2000s, wanted to move there. My old college roommate, current buddy old pal, Eddie Mraz, loves Mexico City. Uh, he lives in New York City, has for over a decade now, and he finds Mexico City to be more cosmopolitan than New York. But just like any big urban area, you know, it's had and still has its problems. As quoted by Forbes, in the 1990s and early 2000s, Mexico City was known for smog, sprawl, and street crime, and was not usually near the top of the list of cities most international tourists wanted to visit. That time frame coincides exactly with a lady of silence's killing years. Uh, thankfully, over the past 10, 15 years, government officials and private entrepreneurs have tried and seemingly succeeded 
at creating a lot of urban renewal. Uh, although Mexico City overall currently has a pretty strong economy, many of its residents uh, do still live in poverty and more were impoverished back when Juana Barraza was killing who she killed. <clears throat> Excuse me. And this economic situation factored greatly in who she chose to kill and how she was able to get her victims to trust her, invite her into their homes, and get away with killing them. The wealth disparity in Mexico, uh, even worse than it is here in the U.S. In 2021, the top 10% of Americans held nearly 70% of U.S. wealth. In Mexico, in that same year, top 10% of Mexicans held nearly 78.7% of Mexico's national wealth. Also in 2021, the bottom 50% of the U.S. population held only 2.6% of the nation's total wealth, while the top 1% of households held 32.3% of the nation's wealth. That's fucking crazy. The population of the U.S. in 2021, uh, 331.9 million, so just a tick under 166 million of those people collectively held 2.6% of the nation's wealth, while just a tick over 3.3 million of those people collectively held 32.3% of the nation's wealth. So many haves and have-nots, and there are so many more have-nots than haves. Uh, and again, it's even worse than that in Mexico and Mexico City. In Mexico, the richest 20% of house, households have an income 10 times higher than the poorest 20%. The top 1% of households hold 46.9% of the nation's wealth, and the bottom 50% of the population collectively hold negative 0.02% of the wealth. A full half of Mexico's population have more debts than assets. Uh, Mexico's government published its most recent report on income in 2021. Uh, effective January 1st of 2024, the minimum salary in the capital increased to approximately $14.50 US dollars a day or $1.81 an hour, an increase of 20% from 2023. For somebody working full-time, which in Mexico is generally eight hours a day and six days a week, not five, that works out to around $4,500 a year. $4,500 a year for someone working six days a week every single fucking week of the year. The recent report shows that 2.5 million people in Mexico City earn less than $6,042 a year and only around 50,000 people earn over $30,000 a year. So most of the city, lower middle class or impoverished. Now the cost of living in Mexico City compared to the average cost of living in the US is way cheaper, around 45% cheaper, but still, imagine trying to live on $10,000 a year in the U.S., which is what $4,500 in Mexico would equate to in America. Uh, for reference, somebody who makes no tips makes the U.S. you know federal minimum wage currently of $7.25 an hour, working five days, 40 hours a week, uh, five days a week, 40 hours a week, uh, would make just over $15,000 a year, right at the poverty line. And now take away a full third of that money. And a couple million people in Mexico City alone somehow living like that right now. And it was worse 20 to 30 years ago when our story takes place. Defining poverty as an individual living on less than $5.50 US, uh, US dollars a day in 2020, 32.5% of Mexico's population lived in poverty. But back in 1998, when Juana began her reign as a serial killer, 55.2% of Mexico's population lived in poverty, over half. A lot of poor people. And oftentimes when times get tough, right? The elderly hurt more than the rest of the adult population because so many of them are no longer able to work like they used to be able to due to physical and or mental limitations. The elderly often more dependent than working adults, as you would likely guess, on government and or familial assistance. When the Lady of Silence was silencing one abuela after another, a lot of folks in Mexico City were hurting for money. 
And a good chunk of those people were elderly. Many of them living alone. And when some nice seeming lady came around telling them she worked for the government, had been sent to help them based on a new government economic assistance initiative they'd likely already read about in the paper or heard about on the news, well, they listened. They trusted her. They were likely overjoyed that she'd come to help them. Probably thought she was a godsend. And then a few moments or minutes later, that godsend was literally strangling them to death. The case of the old little, uh, little old lady killer also took place during a period of a major increase in homicides overall in Mexico. Law enforcement was dealing with so many damn murders. It took longer for them to notice a trend in some of the killings that signaled the work of an actual serial killer. And so many of these cops and other members of Mexico's judicial system were just wildly corrupt. Several major Colombian drug cartels were shut down or nearly shut down in the 1990s, which led to the North American drug trade shifting primarily to Mexico. During this transition, the Mexican government was unable to effectively address the problems with drug cartels due to its own widespread economic problems, coupled with a history of governmental corruption that included law enforcement. Uh, As one of many examples, in 2005, the year before the Lady of Silence was captured, in Nuevo Laredo, a Mexican border town across the border from Laredo, Texas, due to widespread corruption in law enforcement, Mexico's national government, right, the federales, suspended the city's police force, sent in the federal police to patrol the streets. Federal authorities proceeded to purge the local police, eventually firing 305 of the 765 police officers. 41 of them for attacking federal police when those units arrived in the city just went to fucking war with them. Over 300 officers fired, many of them later imprisoned because they had been bought and paid for by drug cartels like uh, Los Cerros and the Sinaloa cartel. Sinaloa cartel founded in 1987 has been the largest, most powerful drug cartel in the world for many years now. These cartels had thousands and thousands of police and other government officials in their pockets when the Lady of Silence was killing and they still do. Not the best environment when you're trying to put together a a top-tier squad of homicide detectives to catch a serial killer. And as I mentioned, in addition to the corruption, you know, there were a lot of murders, right? With all the cartels and their battles for uh, drug trade supremacy came, you know, that comes with a lot of killing. Uh, In 1998, the year Juana's murder murder spree began, Mexico's murder rate was just under 15 per 100,000. That year, the Mexico City metro area was home to 17.9 million people which means that approximately 2,700 murders were committed just in Mexico City, just in 1998. When 2,700 people are being murdered in a city in one year, how much law enforcement time and money is really going to be dedicated towards trying to catch somebody who is strangling some elderly women? Also, Mexico's law enforcement, not well-equipped experience-wise to track down specifically a serial killer. The concept of a serial killer being active in Mexico City seemed laughable to most investigators when a lot of grandmas started turning up murdered. Serial killers just weren't thought to be a phenomenon that occurred in Mexico ever. Uh, They were monsters that plagued people in other places like the U.S. They were characters in movies. They were not residents of Mexico City. Juana Barraza uh, often called Mexico's first serial killer. And that is actually not true, but I do understand now why that's been said. Uh, There were serial killers in Mexico before Juana, but she was the first to have a dedicated task force created to catch her before she was identified. All the others were identified as serial killers only after they were arrested. And despite other Mexican serial killers having been identified, as such, before the arrest of the Lady of Silence, there was still a a widespread belief that Mexico just did not have serial killers. On February 12, 2006, weeks after Juana was arrested, Renato Salas Heredia, the deputy prosecutor with the Mexico City Department of Justice, called serial killing, quote, an unknown phenomenon in Mexico. Months earlier, at a 2005 symposium, 
on serial killing in Mexico City. He said Mexico was facing a terrifying and new phenomenon, the presence now indisputable of a serial killer. That which happens to us today did not happen to us before. It happened in movies in the United States. However, violence and crime have also become globalized. The serial killer of elderly women, El Mataviajitas, is an example of this. There were so many people getting fucking murdered in Mexico every year, and law enforcement have been so plagued by continual corruption. Who knows how many serial killers were active and hiding in Mexico for years? There have for sure at least been a few. Uh, Let's meet a couple before we jump into the timeline of Juana's story. In the late 19th century, the first of two infamous Mexican serial killers, both who become known as Mexican Jack the Rippers, uh, was butchering women. Francisco Guerrero Perez was also known as El uh, Chalaquero, the Mexican Bluebeard, the Consoldado River Strangler, the uh, Consoldado uh, River Ripper, the Silly Little Sweet Pie Bad Boy, who maybe needs his rosy red bottom spanked a bit harder. Uh, maybe the last one was not one of his many nicknames, but the rest were real. El Chalaquero was a contemporary of the British Jack the Ripper, acted between 1888 and 1891. Uh, we did an episode about Jack back in May of 2018, bonus suck 21. El uh, Chalequero comes from the Spanish expression a chaleco, which means by hook or by crook. Uh, Chaleco also can mean vest. While some sources attribute his nickname coming from him being ruthless, other sources say he was just a dude uh, who liked to wear a vest. Either way, this son of a bitch, vest or no vest, killed up to 20 female sex workers in Mexico City between 1880 and 1888, but was not identified as a serial killer until about a century later. Due to prosecutors at the time, somehow only be able to find him guilty of a single murder, despite a lot of circumstantial evidence indicating that he was for sure a butcherer of many women. Guerrero brutally raped his victims repeatedly, sometimes over the span of several days. He beat them, tortured them. When he finally decided to kill them, he would strangle them or slit their throats. Sometimes in his bloodlust and rage, he would also decapitate them. Even more disturbing, this deranged fucker uh, would allegedly skin some of his victims and then this guy worked as a shoemaker, would use that skin to make some lady skin shoes. Yep, lady skin shoes. Pretty dark. But what if they were also the coolest looking, most comfortable shoes on earth? Would you wear a pair of lady skin shoes? What if they came from a lady who died of natural causes? Then would you wear a pair of lady skin shoes? I, 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 I couldn't, I wouldn't. Creeps me out too much. But I'm sure some people would. Can you imagine meeting somebody, compliment, compliment on their shoes, and then they're like, oh, thanks. I was kind of on the fence about them, you know, because of them being made out of like, I don't know, some woman's skin or whatever. Uh, but I really like them. Reminds me of the German interwar period butcher, uh, Karl Denke. Remember him? Subject of Suck 245, the cannibal of Zombitsa. Uh, Karl skinned many of his victims too, and after turning human skin into some kind of leather, he made suspenders, shoelaces, belts out of his victims, sold them to random people who had no idea what they were buying. Ed Gein, the butcher of Plainfield, bonus suck 17. He made all sorts of shit out of human skin. Nipple belt, anyone? He just didn't sell his dark arts and crafts projects to anybody. He liked to wear that shit himself. Out alone, in the middle of a farm field, under the light of a full moon sometimes, if you recall. Like many serial killers in more recent times, Guerrero targeted sex workers. Officials started noticing the disappearance of several sex workers in 1880. At that time, sex work, legal and controlled by the government. But the case didn't receive widespread attention until 1886 when some mutilated bodies were found near uh, the uh, Rio uh, Consulado. Overall, 20 bodies would be found, many of them mutilated. But the police never arrested Guerrero, despite him apparently openly talking about committing the killings to anyone who would listen. Until 1888, 
when one of his victims escaped and reported him. People he bragged about the murders to later said they were just too afraid to say anything. Uh, while Guerrero wouldn't confess in court to any actual murders, he did openly confess at his trial that he liked to have sex, quote, with minors who were virgins, and that he liked biting his victims. What the fuck? Just said that shit like it was no big deal. Uh, Perez still sentenced to death after being found guilty of one murder, but for reasons never made explicitly clear, Mexican president uh, Porfirio, uh, oh my gosh, Porfirio Diaz took pity on this pile of shit and uh, had his sentence reduced to 20 years in prison. Right? Just, he's not that bad. Come on. He only legally for sure killed like one chick. Is that really such a big deal? Have you seen how many women we have in this country? Do you understand how annoying some of them can be? I think about killing my wife five, six times a year. Easy. We're really not so different. Prez and I, he just had a bad day. Uh, he was later released less than 16 years into his sentence when his inmate file was misplaced. <laughs> he was accidentally lumped in with a group of other prisoners who were released in 1904 after being granted presidential amnesty. The Mexican judicial system just fucking killing it for so long now. Uh, four years after his release in 1908, he was arrested on the shore of the Rio Consolado. Right, He goes back to the same river after he killed uh, an 80-year-old woman, a, mo- a woman listed as a sex worker in some sources, also a woman listed as being 40 years old in other sources. Gotta fucking hope she was not an 80-year-old sex worker. I mean, if she loved sex work, okay, fine. You know, do what you love. Uh, you know, as long as it's not hurting anybody. I mean, if she loved her job and had no interest in retiring, uh, good for her. Get get to motorboating with those octogenarian tatas, right? Hail Lucifina. However, I'm pretty skeptical regarding the possibility of an 80-year-old woman who just wakes up every day, all too happy to put on her fishnets and a miniskirt, eagerly throwing on some high-heeled boots to go up to her knees, slathering on some ruby red lipstick and really squishing her gravitationally elongated tits into a push-up bra, maybe a bit too small, and just thinking, hashtag blessed. How blessed am I to still be living this dream? Carpe diem. Mama cannot wait to hit these streets. Time to put this uh, pussy paster dispenser back to work. Every day I'm hustling, hustling. Abuela nacita la polla. Abuela nacita la polla. Joder este coño. Joder este coño. Sisparo al cozón. Y tú tienes la culpa. Crino le das mal. Nombre al amor. Fucking masterclass. Yeah, I'm fluent in Italian and Spanish, bitches. I did just sing some Bon Jovi in Spanish. Perfectly, I might add. Gotta flex on you fools from time to time. Enchilada, solada, tecata, and toro banderas. Anyway, <laughs> for those of you still listening, when Guerrero was caught for this killing, he still literally had blood on his hands. Guerrero died in November of 1910 at the age of 70 of either tuberculosis or typhoid fever. He was supposed to be executed, but prison officials just never got around to giving him an execution date. You heard that right. They were supposed to give him a date for his execution, but they were like, I don't know, they were busy or something. They were just taking bribes, probably having sex with government sex workers they weren't paying and maybe also not investigating, you know, their murders when those happened. Uh, Again, the Mexican judicial system running a fucking real tight ship. The tightest of tight ships. Lo mas estrecho de los barcos apretados. (laughs) I I got something in my mouth. Apretados is what I meant to say at the end there. Uh, Decades later, 1942, a man named Gregorio Goyo Cardenas became known as the second Mexican Jack the Ripper when he killed his girlfriend and three sex workers. And before we talk about this clown, our first of two mid-show sponsor breaks. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you suddenly had an extra hour show up in your day, every day, what would you do with it? Work out, sleep, read a book, 
play Fortnite, call your mom, take judo lessons, finally watch all the episodes of Shameless. A lot of us spend a lot of our time wishing we had more time. But why? Time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The bad news is that you're not going to get that 25th hour. But what you can probably do is reprioritize where you spend some of your time. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it with your time. This year, my health is more important to me than cranking out another stand-up special as fast as possible. So I canceled a tour, sacrificed that income, and decided to spend a lot of the time I just got back working out more, resting more, relaxing more, and enjoying time with family, friends, and just myself. And I'm so glad I did. I feel better than I have in a long time. And my BetterHelp therapist, Debbie, was very helpful in getting me to make the decision to pull back. Thank you, Debbie. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash TimeSuck today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash TimeSuck. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when you hear that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, you're probably thinking, what's the catch? Well, there isn't one, really. They cut the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. It's pretty simple. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans for just 15 bucks a month and no catch. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts over. And in addition to saving money, like over a 50% price drop from what I was paying before, the network quality, in my experience, is better than it was with my old service provider. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, Go to mintmobile.com slash timesuck. That's mintmobile.com slash timesuck. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash timesuck. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Thanks to Rocket Money, I canceled a membership to a gym I used to go to where I continued to pay a monthly membership for a couple of years after I stopped going. I didn't even recognize the charge. Rocket Money found it though, and it was canceled. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lower bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with customer service for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash timesuck. That's rocketmoney.com slash timesuck. rocketmoney.com slash timesuck. I still love peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. But I'd stopped eating them almost entirely a while back because the bread on top of the sugar from the jelly made me so sleepy. All those carbs causing me to want to take a nap after eating them. Enter Hero Bread. Hero Bread takes the fear of carbs out of bread but still leaves you with that delicious bread taste. Hero Bread has 0 to 1 gram of net carbs, 0 grams of sugar, and it's high in fiber. 
It's also delicious and flavorful. The soft, fluffy experience you love when enjoying a savory breakfast burrito or mouth-watering cheeseburger. There is something for every craving, including sliced bread loaves, buns, and tortillas. And there are monthly small batch drops of indulgent favorites, like the 2 grams of net carbs Hero Croissant or the 1 gram of net carbs Hero Cheddar Biscuit. I had a loaf of Hero Classic White Bread delivered last week. Soft, fluffy, and delicious. 5 grams of protein per slice, and it's high in fiber. And the best part? Hero Bread doesn't taste healthy. It tastes like bread. It's great. Don't give up on being a breadhead. Hero Bread is offering 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use code TIMESUCK at checkout. That's TIMESUCK at H-E-R-O dot C-O. I'm back and now it's time to meet Gregorio Goyo Cardenas, another Mexican serial killer who was active before Mexico's first supposed serial killer, Juan Barraza. Uh, in August 1942, Goyo, uh, most commonly called the Tacuba Strangler in the press, paid a 16-year-old sex worker named Maria de los Angeles Gonzalez and took her to his home. After they had sex, she went to go use his bathroom. He followed her in there, strangled her with a cord, buried her in his garden. Eight days later, he killed a sex worker whose identity would never be determined, uh, but she was believed to be a minor. In the garden burial ground, her corpse also went. Six days after her murder, he hired another sex worker named Rosa Reyes uh, Quiroz, listed in sources as a minor, exact age never given. In Rosa's case, when she decided she did not want to sleep with him, he strangled her with a cord, had sex with her corpse, then buried her again in his back, uh, backyard garden. And he may have practiced necrophilia with all the corpses that ended up in his garden. Sources vary on exactly who this sicko fucked once they were dead. Four days after Rosa's murder, now he kills his girlfriend, 21-year-old Graciela Arias Avalos, uh, a fellow chemistry student. He picked her up after school, drove her home. He claimed that she refused to kiss him, so, naturally, he beat her to death in his car. What was he supposed to fucking do? Respect her autonomy and politely ask her why she was not romantically interested in him at that time? Work on his communication and courting skills? Maybe respectfully end their relationship and move on with his life and never bother or assault her? He took her body home before burying her in the garden. He put her corpse under his bed. He then committed numerous acts of necrophilia with Graciela's corpse before burying her next to the other victims the following day in the garden. Four days later, his mom had him hospitalized at his insistence. Then in a psychiatric facility, he was interviewed by a private detective searching for his dead girlfriend, Graciela. He confessed to killing her and burying her body. Police came to the hospital. He took them to the burial site. They found all four corpses. He also showed investigators his journal, which was essentially his confession book. Part of Goyo's confession stated, they were women of the street. I offered them money. I took them to my home where they sated me. After having them, I do not know what I became, what I felt. It was something horrible, a horrific hatred towards those women, all women, an inexplicable frenzy, the invincible impulse to destroy, to tear, to kill. And I killed them. Goyo was convicted for all four murders. I should hope so. Uh, then sent to a prison psych ward. During his trial, for the first time ever, the Mexican press published detailed reports about the depraved acts committed by one of their very own serial killers. Although at that time, they did not refer to him as a serial killer because that coin would not be termed until 1974. Two years later, the guy who just murdered four women escaped. Fucking two years later, he escapes, makes it to the state of Oaxaca and gets a job at a rural school as a teacher. Yet again, uh, the Mexican criminal justice system. What the fuck? Might want to maybe kind of pay close attention uh, to a dude who just went on a murder and necrophilia spree. Goyo will soon be recaptured and then uh, will be placed into the general prison population where he will earn a law degree, 
author five books and do so much more. Uh, somehow while in prison, he'll amass a small library of over 200 books in his cell. And also in his cell, he will play the fucking organ that his mom brought him. How big was his cell? He will also get married and father four kids with his wife while in prison for four murders. Who was running the prison this guy was in? Four kids, is that a really good idea? Just to let dudes who literally cannot be present fathers make babies? After 34 years of being incarcerated, uh, Goyo's lawyer will argue that he should be released because he's no longer mentally ill and the maximum sentence for murder was 30 years when he was convicted. And Goyo was released in September of 1976 at the age of 61. He goes on to work as a lawyer for many years, becomes a minor celebrity. Uh, He was considered, quote, a testament to the effectiveness of the reformatory system. He was invited to the Chamber of Deputies, the lower chamber of the federal legislative power in Mexico, where he would receive a standing ovation for being such a great example of the power of rehabilitation. They even considered briefly having a statue erected in his honor. Uh, Goyo died in 1999 of natural causes at the age of 84. What the fuck is wrong with so many people? I got an idea. How about if you strangle even just one woman to death and fuck her corpse? You're permanently disqualified from statue consideration. How about you're permanently disqualified from being invited to Congress? How about you're permanently disqualified from ever receiving a standing ovation or applause of any kind for fucking anything? Like not even on your birthday. You've earned the shame of being a social pariah for the rest of your days. Also, as ridiculous as I find the U.S. criminal justice system's reasoning oftentimes, Mexico's criminal justice system truly seems to be a, uh, a total shit show of epic proportions. Uh, and there have been other serial killers, like one subject I hope to do at least a short suck on one of these days, or a longer one if there's enough info. Magdalena Solis, a.k.a. the High Priestess of Blood. She was arrested in Yerba Buena, May 31st, 1963, when she was only around the age of 16, exact date of her birth not known. While Solis was only convicted of two murders, authorities believed uh, at least eight murders were uh, at the hands of Solis, uh, or at least, you know, she was involved in these murders, and they suspected she was involved in as many as 15. She joined a cult, soon became its leader. She presented herself to followers as an Aztec goddess, and she would lead crazy rituals in a cave. These rituals initially seemed to center around animal sacrifice and orgies, Soon, the drinking of human blood was incorporated, and then things escalated from there to include ritualized torture and human sacrifice. All done in the name of pleasing the goddess and attaining supernatural powers and shit. Fucking wild story. They were already looking into to find out how suckworthy it is. And now for the meat of today's suckworthy story. The story of a serial killer thought to be responsible for 40 plus murders who was convicted for 16. The first person in Mexican history, it seems, to have a serial killer task force assembled to hunt them down And what was it about these murders that shocked Mexico enough to form a task force? Why, in a nation of so many murders, did these murders get so much media attention? In a word, abuela. In the court of public opinion, not all murders are equal. Right? We've we've gone over that a ton of times. I've talked about that a lot here. Historically, the deaths of sex workers get the least attention. Their deaths uh, have all too often been filed away as some kind of hazard of the trade. Next, the deaths of those involved in some way with criminal syndicates, such as street gangs or drug cartels, also often, you know, seen as a trade hazard. If you didn't want to get cut up and have your parts dumped in some river, you shouldn't have been fucking around with the Sinaloa cartel, motherfucker. People addicted to hard drugs, often written off as junkies when they're killed. Next, when it comes to media coverage and the public outrage generated by media coverage, the killings of members of disenfranchised minority groups have historically not been taken as seriously as attacks on members of the majority or in power group. But grandmas, you start killing grandmas. 
Grandma's not addicted to narcotics. Grandma's not involved with sex work or some cartel. Widowed, lonely, low income, trying to still make it on their own. Grandma's. Next to killing small children, this kind of uh, murder seems to spark the most public outrage. These murders outrage jaded media members, jaded law enforcement officers, and a public jaded by so much cartel violence and corruption. You just don't fucking kill Nana. You don't kill a lot of Nanas year after year for many years and not generate a lot of public outrage. Susana Vargas Cervantes, author of the 2019 book, The Little Old Lady Killer, The Sensationalized Crimes of Mexico's First Female Serial Killer, one of our main sources this week and one of the experts used in another main source, the 2023 documentary film about Juana on Netflix, The Lady of Silence, The Mataviajitas Murders, stated she believed these murders led to Mexico's first serial killer task force in her book. She wrote, the social values that shape the conception of a victim in Mexico rest on notions of how the family represents the core of order and progress that date back to the nation's founding. El Matavietas uh, was killing the grandmothers, excuse me, El Mataviajitas was killing the grandmothers of the nation. This is what was most shocking. Various scholars familiar with this case stated in one form or another that in Mexico, motherhood is perceived as the most important social role for women and that mothers are the core of Mexican society. And a grandmother in abuela is like a double mother, the most sacred. A self-sacrificing mother is considered the ideal woman and doting grandmothers hold a very special place in traditional Mexican society. According to Vargas Cervantes, grandmothers are seen as, quote, guardians of the nation and the ultimate symbols of purity, chastity, and virtue. In 2005, Chief Prosecutor Bernardo Batiste said that the victims were part of a helpless, very vulnerable sector of society, which before was respected even amongst delinquents. Most of the victims lived alone, which created further outrage. In Mexico, it's still very common for grandmothers to live with family. Traditionally, and this is not as common now as it was during these murders, uh, newly married couples lived with the man's parents and might wait a while to move out. And the youngest son and his wife would live in the house permanently to take care of his elderly parents as they became grandparents and great-grandparents, and then he will later inherit the house. Elderly women who lived alone were pitied, right? Why wasn't their family taking better care of them? Did they not have any family? They should be cherished, not abandoned. Investigators believed that they were lonely and wanted company, so much so that they would invite almost anyone inside their home, including the Lady of Silence, who then betrayed their kindness and murdered the sacred members of such a vulnerable population one after another, after another, after another. And now, our feature presentation. For the enjoyment of one and all, please refrain from using your telephones during the show. Or we will be forced to kill you and your entire family. Remember, please turn off your telephones at this time. Enjoy the show. Strap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a time-suck timeline. Juana Dayanara Barraza Samperio was born December 27, 1957, in Espaso, Yucan, Hidalgo, a town of about 12,000 people, 65 miles north of Mexico City. Her mother was Justa Samperio, and her father was Trinidad Barraza. Both of her parents were fucking garbage, and both would end up abandoning, abandoning her. Uh, dad would leave first. Uh, in February of 2008, when he was 80, Trinidad was interviewed by Mexico City news outlet El Universal, he told the interviewer that he realized he was Juana Barraza's father following her arrest. He said he last saw Juana when, he was, uh, when she was a newborn and didn't hear about her again until she was in the media for being a serial killer. He said he was angry with her, but not over the killings. 
He claimed she knew he was her father and knew where he was living, but never visited him. How dare she not seek out the parent who completely abandoned her? Why would she visit you, you dipshit? You didn't do anything to help raise her. Fucking people and their delusions. Uh, Trinidad claimed in this same interview that he had fathered around 32 children with various women. Hard to say. He stated he didn't remember most of his kids. <laughs> and that the number 32 was, you know, pretty pretty rough estimate. So that's cool. That's cool. Uh, Trinidad explained that in 1945, when he was 18 or 19, he met a teenage sex worker, uh, Justa Samperio, who would have been only 12 or 13 in a nightclub in Pachuca, Hidalgo. And I know he's only 18 or 19 and that this was a long time ago and times were different, but uh, he started dating, uh, fucking somebody who was 12 or 13. So uh, super gross. Trinidad said he took Justa to live with him and that they ended up having two daughters together, Angela and Juana. For a few years, according to him, their marriage was good. Right? His wife played with her dolls, uh, fucked him whenever he wanted since, uh, you know, she was a severely abused child who didn't understand body autonomy or boundaries of any kind. He didn't say that. I added that, but it feels true. Then after a while, she, you know, grew up a bit, uh, was almost an adult, and now she didn't like how often he was away from home for long stretches. He worked as a long-haul truck driver. Trinidad also mentioned that he had a lot of fun as a trucker because he received a lot of attention from women. Yeah, I bet he did. You don't have 32 or so kids without having some fun. Uh, what a dipshit. Maybe that was why Husta didn't love him being on the road for long stretches. Maybe he was uh, sticking his dick in any warm hole that would let him in, clearly not wearing condoms, and bringing back uh, God knows how many venereal diseases home to her. Doesn't sound like this dude ever saw a fucking bicycle. He didn't want to take for a spin, jump off a ramp, maybe crash into a ditch. You get it. You probably get it. Uh, how many of those 32-ish kids did he help raise? I'm going to say for sure less than 10. Probably less than 5. Trinidad said that he and Husta lived together for about 4 or 5 years. And that one day when he came home, Husta was just uh, gone. She'd left their daughter, Angela, with her uncles, a child he apparently made zero effort to take back from those uncles. And she took Juana, who was only about a few months old, with her. El Universal reported that as of 2008, Angela was living with a, her uh, family in Hidalgo. Uh, Trinidad also said he was currently married, but had separated from his wife. And the old horn dog made a point to introduce his new lover <laughs> in the middle of his interview. He's classy. Classy, classy guy. A chico con clase. Uh, Trinidad also complained about his own upbringing in the interview as uh, as if he, how he was raised, somehow excused how he had raised or not raised one of the serial killer. Trinidad, uh, Trinidad said that growing up, he knew his mother, but not his father. He only knew that the man's name was Ruiz. He was raised by his aunt and her husband, Manuel Barraza. He said he never received an education and was illiterate. Before becoming a truck driver, he worked in a factory. He was a police officer at one point. Claimed he worked with livestock at one point, then went back to working with livestock in 1985. Final question he was asked in the El Universal interview was, what has been the greatest suffering you have had? And for his answer, he said, in life, what hurts me the most is the love of my parents that I didn't have. That's a fucking pathetic answer. Feels like a sympathy ploy from the deadbeat dad of a serial killer. Feels like a better answer could have been, I don't know, uh, reflecting on irresponsibly fathering so many children that I then abandon is something that haunts me every night. Something like that. Sad how the only reason he was interviewed was because of his daughter, but then he mostly just talked about himself and how good he was with women. Regarding his daughter, when asked, he said he had not visited Juana in prison and had no plans to ever visit her. Now on to Juana's mother, Justa Samperio. We don't know anything about her early childhood. Strongly assuming it was a complete fucking nightmare since she was working as a child prostitute by the age of 12, if not earlier. 
By the time she had two children, she was, according to Juana later, an abusive alcoholic. When Juana was between 11 and 13, depending on the source, her mom supposedly gave her away to a 26-year-old man, Jose Lugo, in exchange for, do you care to guess, what her mom traded her daughter for? Three beers. Tres cervezas. That is so fucked up. Her mom uh, might have even been worse than her dad. Clearly, Juana came from a lot of dysfunction. Neither one of her parents were people well-adjusted enough to be raising well-adjusted children. Also, three beers? Not only was her mom a terrible mother, but clearly not a great business person. Not great when it came to bartering. Like, I feel like you should be able to at least get like a dozen beers, plus a nice dinner, maybe a necklace or a moped or something for a kid. Way more than three beers. Juana's new guardian, who was not surprisingly a depraved pedophile, started raping and otherwise sexually abusing her immediately, and she quickly became pregnant. Her first child, who she gave birth to when she was just a child herself, was a boy she named Jose Enrique Lugo Barraza. Juana lived with Jose, her abuser, for around five years. And uh, as she developed more and more feelings of hatred towards him, she also began to hate the woman who gave her to this pile of shit, her mother. Juana's childhood comes across like a, like a Steph Coxcurvy routine. Remember him? our suck first resident comedian who really didn't ever have any jokes, pretty much only comments on the terrible childhoods of serial killers. Guy who sounds at least a little bit like Jeff Foxworthy. If your padre abandoned you as a baby after fathering you with a teenage prostitute and your madre was an abusive alcoholic who sold you to a pedophile when you were 11 for Trace Cervases, you might be a killer. My God. Uh, in an interview with uh, La Vanguardia, Juana said she was only 11 when her mom gave her away. Husta reportedly said, give me some beers and you can take my daughter. Can you imagine your mom doing that to you? Dad's not in the picture. And then that happens. Not saying that's an excuse to later become a serial killer, but it is certainly going to fuck your head up and could easily help tilt your life perspective towards having very little love and respect for just humanity in general. Wana also said in this interview, uh, when he abused me, he had to tie me to the bed so he could touch me. Good guy. She was just a little kid. What an introduction to adulthood. According to Wana, Husta died from cirrhosis of the liver caused by her alcoholism when Wana was only 18 years old. So now at the age of only 18, Wana's mother is dead. Father's not in her life. And she has a son fathered by her sexual abuser who's around the age of five or six. Miguel Antiveros, a Mexican criminologist associated with Wana's case, believes Juana was horribly traumatized by her nightmare of a childhood and ended up targeting elderly women because they were the age her mother would have been and she associated them with her mother. Makes sense to me. Juana herself said after her arrest, I hated old women because my mom mistreated me. She always cursed me. She gave me away to an old man and I was abused. As an adult, Juana will have three other children with three other men, uh, according to The Guardian. Juana's second child was a daughter named Emma, name of the other children not listed in sources. At the age of 23, Juana will marry a man named uh, Miguel Angel Barrios. She'll later leave him because he was abusive. Uh, she then gets in a relationship with a man named Felix Juarez, leaving him when he too was abusive. And then her last known romantic partner was Miguel Quiroz. Uh, if he was abusive as well, we do not know about it. I'm guessing he probably was. Also, so many fucking Miguels. Story gods trying hard to get me to mess up and say, Miguel, not today, Satan. Now I'm fluent. <laughs> it's alluded to in sources uh, that shed a child of peace with each of these men. Speaking of children, uh, her oldest son, Jose, will sadly be murdered in 1998. 
who for muggers beat him to death with a baseball bat. Brutal way to go. This tragedy hit Juana hard. She became extremely depressed after Jose's death, and within months of his murder, she would begin killing old women and stealing from their homes. Uh, his death, it sure seems, was probably the triggering event that led to Juana becoming a, uh, a serial killer. 100% speculating, but, you know, sounds like it was the last straw. Her dad left her. She was a baby, or at least didn't come and fight for her when her mom left him. Also, her dad was basically a fucking pedophile. Then her mom sells her to a pedophile who beats her, ties her up, rapes her, impregnates her. Then she has children with at least two other men who are abusive. Now, none of these guys stick around to raise the kids. Now, her oldest child, a kid uh, she had when she was still a uh, kid, beaten to death with a bat. After all that, maybe she went to this mental place of just fuck everybody. Fuck the world. Fuck God. I'm sick of life. Constantly kicking me in the pussy. Uh, Old women who remind me of mama where the abuse I have suffered my whole life first started. Abuse at the hands of the woman who taught me I was worth nothing. They're going to fucking pay. Something like that. Now let's talk about something in life that was not awful for uh, Juana, something that gave her joy, something she loved, was very good at, miming. I know, random. Uh, in her early 20s, Juana found out that she had a, a real talent for miming. At first, when she did it, she just playing around with her kids, trying to make them laugh. Her kids were blown away with how realistically she appeared to actually be caught, you know, outside in a windstorm, struggling to move forward. Or to truly be stuck inside some invisible soundproof box, unable to figure out how to open it and escape. Uh, she was so convincing when she pretended to pull herself along by an invisible rope <laughs> that I guess her kids would, would cry when they couldn't find the other end of the supposed rope. Uh, cut to uh, about a year later, and she's working as a street performer. Miming on Mexico City's main drag four street performances, Calle Madero. Uh, here she took her act to the next level, I guess. Incorporated juggling. Developed a distinctive costume. Think a uh, Lucha Libre libre uh, version of the traditional mime costume. And instead of white clown-like face makeup and a, and a black French beret, she wore a white Lucha Libre mask and a clown wig. And instead of red suspenders and a black and white horizontally striped long sleeve shirt, she wore a black cape, uh, you know, uh, and, a, and a white wrestling singlet. Instead of the traditional black slacks and black shoes, she wore uh, black wrestling boots that would lace up almost uh, to her knee. Gave herself the name of uh, La Dama del Silencio, the Lady of Silence. Makes sense. Uh, she was well on her way to achieving her dream of becoming Mexico City's premier mime. But then, more tragedy, she developed a stomach condition that would cause that dream to come crashing down in a very humiliating way. Flatulence, gas, farts, really, really bad farts, likely caused by a combination of her diet for a while, she lived exclusively on soft-boiled eggs, slices of highly processed American cheese, beans, and sour cream. And then there was the anxiety related to stage fright. This combination led directly to an endlessly raging toot storm, uh, as uh, quoted in sources. In short, while she was able to keep her mouth shut as a mime, sadly, the same could not be said for her butthole. Loud, raucous, vile-smelling farts continually broke the fourth wall of her otherwise flawless mime performances. It was distracting, embarrassing, humiliating. The more she stressed out over it all, the gassier she became. A vicious cycle. A vicious fucking toot storm. She was soon... <laughs> she was breaking character and yelling at her own audience, shouting stuff like, Why are you all pointing and laughing at me? That guy farted. Him. That guy right over there in the purple shirt and the snakeskin boots. I mean, doesn't he look like the kind of guy who would fart like that? And then finally, she was done. Washed up. Finito. Finalizada. Final performance punctuated more by gas and giggles and applause. She would run away screaming alone into the cold night. It's not me. I'm so sick of you bastards farting and blaming me for it. We'll see who's laughing 
when I kill your fucking grandmas. Muerta a las abuelas. One was never mine. <laughs> you knew that. I realized that went on for a while. Probably, probably too long. I just got really into imagining the weirdest buildup leading to serial killing. <laughs> I think her resting name of Lady of Silence may have led my brain to think that's a good name for a mime. Anyway, as an adult, Juana's biggest passion was not miming, it was wrestling. Now that I pulled you out of the story with my mime bullshit, uh, we might as well take our second of two mid-show sponsor breaks. If you don't want to hear these ads, you can get the entire catalog ad-free on Patreon for $5 a month. You know what's one of the best things to bring with you wherever you go? Raycon's Everyday Earbuds. Raycons offer amazing quality audio at half the price of other premium audio brands. Their tens of thousands of five-star reviews speak to that. Your Raycons can go with you everywhere so you can listen at any time. With eight hours of playtime and 32-hour battery life, you don't have to worry about whether they're up for the task. Even though I'm not currently touring, I still travel a fair amount. And I love how small the case is. So easy to throw them in my jacket pocket like I did when Lindsay and I took my grandma to New Orleans. I use them on the plane to help fall asleep to some Nathaniel Ratliff and then Enola, use them at the gym to get pumped up for a quick workout to some Chevelle. Perfect for both places. I was able to easily use noise isolation on the plane to block out flight noises and then switch to awareness mode at the gym so I'm not too lost in my own world and get in the way of others' workouts. Go to buyraycon.com slash timesuck today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash timesuck. Buyraycon.com slash timesuck. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off the list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are designed by over 150 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations. Babbel has over 10 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. I've been working on my restaurant skills lately. ¿Cuál es el pescado del día? Excelente. Mi encanto pargo rojo frito. Y me gustaría un poco de huevo de naranja fresco. You may not know what I said, but my waiter in Mexico will, thanks to Babbel. Here's a special limited-time deal for listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash timesuck. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash timesuck, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash timesuck. Rules and restrictions may apply. Do you love to treat yourself? I mean, who doesn't? Maybe you buy fancy coffee or pay for the extra legroom on the plane. If you treat yourself to the top options other places, why settle when finding a doctor? It is your health after all. Enter ZocDoc, a place where you can find and book tens of thousands of top-tier doctors, all with verified patient reviews. So don't settle. Go for the best and find the right doctor for you. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. No more waiting awkwardly on hold with a receptionist. And these docs all have verified reviews from actual real patients. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, are located near you, and treat basically any condition you're searching for. The typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between just 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. Go to ZocDoc.com slash timesuck and download the ZocDoc app for free. 
Then find a book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash timesuck. ZocDoc dot com slash timesuck. And I'm back. Back to talk about how Juana was not a mine, but maybe was a masked wrestler. While we know that Juana loved wrestling, uh, we don't know if she was really a wrestler or just a wannabe, a hanger-on. A lot of sources, most sources, describe her as a serial killer who was once a professional lucha libre wrestler, uh, but we'll soon see how that may not be true. Author Vargas Cervantes states that lucha libre is sport theater, a th- excuse me, a sport theater spectacle that has been enormously popular in Mexico since the 1930s. This type of wrestling was, still is, especially popular amongst the working class and foreigners who visit Mexico City. Vargas Cervantes also wrote, the actual fighting that takes place is a well-choreographed mix of judo, Greco-Roman wrestling, and boxing. Mexican wrestlers, just like uh, their U.S. counterparts that we discussed recently in the Iron Claw episode, uh, put on spectacular, crowd-pleasing, choreographed performances for their audiences. There's good guys, there's bad guys, a.k.a. faces and heels, a.k.a. technicals and rudos. There's dramatic storylines, rivalries, over-the-top promotions. Uh, Mexican women only first allowed to participate in performative wrestling in the 1950s. First women's championship was won in 1955, but then shortly after that, it was banned in Mexico City. Excuse me. They only began to be allowed again to have wrestling matches there three decades later in 1986. If one is to be believed, at some point in the late 1980s, she began to wrestle under the stage name of La Dama del Silencio, right? The Lady of Silence. She wrestled as a ruda, a bad girl, which also meant she didn't fight with the same level of technical skill as Technica's wrestlers did. She wore a bright pink suit with silver accents on the legs and shoulders, pink and silver boots, pink and silver butterfly mask. Local papers published a photo of her wearing this outfit with a World Women's Wrestling Championship belt draped over her. She looks imposing in the photo. She looks legit, right? Standing tall and proud at 5'9 with an athletic, muscular physique. Uh, Strangely, her body was described as masculine in many Mexican sources. And various Mexican criminologists will cite her masculine physique along with some supposedly masculine facial features as proof of, quote, innate criminality. Of course she killed those women. Look at her, look at her broad shoulders. Look at, her, look at how narrow her eyes are, how thick and muscular her thighs. Uh, look, at, look at her, how thin her lips are and her, her furrowed brow, that jawline. Of course she killed with a masculine face and body. I'm not even really exaggerating. They later really did act like her physical characteristics somehow predisposed her to being a killer when they were trying to figure out why she did what she did. Uh, Juana told investigators she chose a ring name, La Dama del Silencio, because she is reserved and quiet. But was she ever actually in the ring? Or was she just a wrestling fan who wanted people to think that she was a wrestler? Producers for the 2023 Netflix documentary, The Lady of Silence, the uh, Mata Viajitas, um, excuse me, Mata Viajitas, Heat this part always gets me murders. Uh, interviewed some female wrestlers based in Mexico City who had known Juana. A woman who used the stage name La Chola said, We were sort of friends when it came to partying. We partied together all the time. Like, are you dating that guy? Then I'll date this one. We were uh, we were wild. Megala, another female wrestler, said that Juana always checked on her to see if she needed anything. She trusted Juana, told her about her personal problems. She was shocked when she learned that Juana had been arrested for multiple murders because she said Juana never seemed like an angry, aggressive person. She seemed like a sweetheart. Megala did think it was strange, though, that Juana also, uh, often treated them to expensive lunches. La Chola also noticed that Juana carried a lot of cash with her. They wondered where she got that money. Uh, also, both thought it was a bit odd that she uh, liked to dye her hair almost every month and that she moved often from one apartment to the next. But they never connected any of her behavior to a string of murders of elderly women. Juana said that at some point before she was arrested, she had to quit wrestling because of a back injury. 
but that prior to her retirement, she could lift 220, uh, 220 pounds at the gym. Never said exactly how she lifted that weight. Deadlift, I'm guessing, unless she's just pulling that out of her ass. Uh, regarding, again, whether or not she was actually a professional wrestler, Lachola said, I think she always dreamed of becoming a wrestler, but she was never a wrestler. She never set foot in a ring. I asked several wrestlers, did you ever fight against the Lady of Silence? No, never. Lachola also added that anyone can get custom wrestling gear made and anyone can buy a championship belt. Very true. Uh, years ago, an awesome Time Suck fan sent me a championship wrestling belt. And it looks fucking amazing. And I certainly never uh, set foot in a ring to win it. I just had to make a bunch of terrible Chikatilo jokes and references. Well, it's a big deal. I like to wrestle. That's all it took to get myself a championship belt. Um, I got to also say that Juana liked the environment of professional wrestling, liked to be around wrestling, talk about wrestling, but not a wrestler. Renato Salas Heredia, the deputy prosecutor for the Mexico City Department of Justice at the time of Juana's arrest, did seem to think that she was a wrestler, though, stating in his interview... I think she unloaded a large part of her frustrations that came from that awful early childhood through wrestling. However, Renato, after watching that doc, seems kind of like a dipshit. (laughs) Seems like a dude who has a lot of strong opinions about shit he doesn't know anything about. A lot of other people interviewed in the doc uh, consistently disagreed with uh, a lot of his assessments. I'm going to say she was either not a wrestler at all, or maybe she fucked around in a few small town matches and then never took it further than that. Certainly was never a popular wrestler. Uh, the New York Times reported that Juana worked as a popcorn vendor at wrestling matches. That sounds more possible. <laughs> Comedically, I hope that she never did more than that. That cracks me up to think of like uh, the wrestling equivalent of some dude, uh, you know, maybe some guy who sells like uh, hot dogs at Dodger Stadium uh, and then tells people that they're a professional baseball player or lets them think that. Well, uh, what do you do? Oh, I, uh, well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Dodger. <laughs> I'm with the Dodgers. Oh, you, you play professional baseball? Ah, uh, Yeah. Yeah, I'm a, like I said, I'm a Dodger. Uh, what position do you play? I, I'd love to come watch the game. Well, I uh, they use me. I, I'm all over the place. I'm a, bit of, I'm a bit of a hot dog. I'm a bit of a hot dog Dodger. Fans love me. Uh, an article from The Guardian stated that Juana frequently attended wrestling matches, organized some local wrestling events, and maybe occasionally, possibly when she was younger, might have fought in the ring. Uh, but they don't cite anyone who ever wrestled against Juana or even someone who ever witnessed her wrestling. I certainly can't find any videos or photos online of her ever in a ring. Just a pic of her dressed up as a wrestler. Uh, so while we don't know if she was ever a luchadora or not, we do know that at the time of her arrest, Juana Barraza was living in the uh, Ixtapaluca suburb of Mexico City in a ground floor apartment with her two youngest kids, 13-year-old boy and 11-year-old girl. Uh, she was working cleaning, cleaning people's homes, also did some sort of vague street vending, and uh, engaged in petty theft. She seems to have always bounced from job to job. Juana's lawyer will, of course, deny she was either a murderer or a thief, uh, stating that she was a hard worker, that she was, quote, proud to say she has kept things going on her own. She is proud of being both a father and a mother to her children. Her neighbors will say her kids were friendly and that Juana was quiet and someone who kept to herself was pleasant in passing. They never suspected she was a serial killer. Now that we've introduced Juana Barraza, uh, the next section of the timeline will cover the investigation and some of her known victims. I would list out all of the victims, but very little is known about almost any of them. Uh, and sadly, she killed so many people the same way, it gets pretty uh, redundant, pretty repetitive. Uh, I want to present the most info as possible, but also keep this narrative compelling. So here we go. First known victim, Maria Amparo Gonzalez, killed in May of 1998, identified as a victim in the uh, Mata Viajitas case in August of 2004, when another woman was strangled in Iztapalapa, a borough of Mexico City. 
Investigators noticed that Marie had been killed just a few streets away, determined she was most likely killed by the same person. Sources don't list Maria's age. I'm going to guess he was around 80. Since the average age of the 40 victims whose ages we do know, uh, ages listed in sources, is 78.175. Youngest victim listed is 59. Oldest is 92. Actually, two 92-year-olds. 92 Most victims were in their late 70s or early 80s. She really, really went after people she could easily physically dominate. So typical of a serial killer, right? Preying on people weaker than themselves. Uh, after what was... Uh, and, but with possibly a, a Juana's first murder, she seems to take a big break from killing, at least a big break in known murders that fit her MO. Maybe she scared herself, uh, you know, a big cooling off period after the first murder. Not uncommon at all when it comes to serial killers. Maybe she felt a ton of remorse over what she did. She certainly never said. She isn't believed to have struck again for over four years. Not until November 25th, 2002, when 64-year-old Maria de la, de la Luz Gonzalez Anaya was strangled in her home in the Koi Yuhakan borough of Mexico City. One of 16 boroughs in this massive city, each with their own mayor, council, and local government powers. A little over three months later, the Lady of Silence strikes again. This time, she strangled 84-year-old uh, Guillermina Leon, March 2nd, 2003, in the Cajotemoc neighborhood of Mexico City. So many neighborhoods in Mexico City. Almost 2,000. It's fucking wild. On July 25th, 86-year-old Maria Guadalupe Aguilar Cortina is strangled in Mexico City, neighborhood uh, not mentioned in sources. Six months later, 80-year-old Alicia Cota, strangled on September 11th, 2003, in the Benito Juarez borough of Mexico City. Patricia Payan, a criminologist who was interviewed for the recent Netflix documentary, recalled looking into the uh, September 2003 murder. Alicia was found with a cord wrapped around her neck. Then just a week later, another elderly woman, 82-year-old Maria Guadalupe Gonzalez Juan Bels, asphyxiated due to strangulation. Some seriously long fucking names in this suck. Uh, per traditional Spanish naming customs, uh, Mexicans have two last names. First surname is the first surname of the father. And the second surname is the first surname of the mother. Also don't have a middle name, but often have more than one first name. Uh, most people use only the first first name and first last name in daily life, such as Juana Barraza, whose full legal name is Juanataquita Corona Barraza Torres Antonio Banderas. Fucking nailed it. Masterclass. How damn I'm good at Spanish. A huevo. A viva Mexico. Uh, no. Her full legal name is Juana Deanara Barraza Samperio. Deanara, her second first name. Barraza, her father's surname. Samperio, her mother's surname. Anyway, <laughs> so fun for me to fucking yell that stupid shit. Anyway, Patricia Payan, the criminologist, uh, noticed that the type of knot used to strangle Alicia Cota, similar to the, uh, the ligature used in Maria Guadalupe Aguilar Cortina's crime scene. Two weeks later, Juan is no longer taking big pauses between murders now, right? She's all in on killing whatever older women she can get away with killing. Excuse me. Another elderly woman murdered under the same circumstances. A month after that, yet another victim is strangled in the same way in uh, Coyuca. Coyuacan Borough again, uh, 85-year-old Natalia Torres Castro. Patricia Payan said that uh, by Natalia's murder, she was convinced that there was an active serial killer in Mexico City killing abuelas. But no one took her belief seriously, not yet. She was told by a superior, quote, no, don't watch so many TV shows, you're exaggerating. So why didn't others believe these early murders? All committed in the same fashion, same victim type, were not indicative of a serial killer. Deputy Prosecutor Renato Salas Heredia explained that back in 2003, most investigators were not even willing to consider the possibility of a serial killer because, again, they truly believed 
Serial killers did not exist in Mexico. They were believed to be essentially the result of some sort of cultural sickness that Mexico did not suffer from. Renato even denied that Goyo Cardenas, that second Mexican Jack the Ripper serial killer we went over, was a serial killer. He said he was a spree killer. Like that would make some, uh, some kind of difference. Like that would make what he did less depraved. Prosecutor Bernardo Batiz said in an interview, we slowly realized that this was a serial killer. Maybe I denied it at one point, but it must have been at the beginning. We also didn't want to spark an outrage or appear in sensationalist headlines. We tried to be as discreet as possible. He also said we were ready because we had a great team of specialists and experts in crime scene reconstruction, crime scene preservation. Deputy Prosecutor Renato Salas contradicted this notion, though, saying, of course not. Who would be ready? So we got ready along the way. And what happened? The victim's family members cleaned the crime scene, washed, picked uh, picked up everything. And when you got there, you'd say, why did you clean everything? There's no way we'll find fingerprints. We won't be able to document with photos. They'd say, no, we're holding a vigil for grandma. (laughs) Apparently this happened a lot. How frustrating that the families of the elderly women who were blatantly strangled kept cleaning up the crime scene before investigators had a chance to examine it. Just just not thinking about all the evidence they were destroying, I guess. They didn't want investigators to to walk into a filthy house. Nana would have been so embarrassed. Uh, Hearing that really shocked me. I'm just so used to hearing about crime scenes. I was watching a lot of crime uh, true crime docs and TV shows like Cops or fictionalized crime procedural shows like Law & Order long before podcasts existed. And it just seemed so obvious that if you say walked into your grandma's house and, and you found her murdered body, you would not start fucking cleaning. But that was uh, not culturally the case here. By the fall of 2003, a group of investigators did start to suspect that one person was possibly responsible for some or all of these murders, though. The initial profile of the suspect was that of a large, strong man, male, tall, between 45 and 48, broad back, big hands, strong and burly, short hair, dresses as a nurse may have been a nurse. The suspect's strategy is to pretend to be someone who has showed up to help these women, acting as if they work for the government as part of a helpful social welfare program designed to make sure seniors get the benefits they need. Other than the sex being the wrong gender, that is pretty accurate. Juan was 45 at that time. uh, Very tall for a Mexican uh, uh, woman, actually Mexican of any sex. Currently, the average height of a Mexican man is five foot six, and the average height for a Mexican woman is three foot four. And Juana was five foot nine. At the time of the murders, Andre Manuel uh, Lopez Obrador, uh, who is Mexico's current president, was Mexico City's head of government, think mayor of all the boroughs, and he was promoting a new policy of assisting the elderly. To implement this policy, a lot of different social workers were visiting the elderly at their homes and giving them cards that would allow them to access their new benefits. It was common knowledge that these cards were being delivered. So if you were elderly, low income, you were hoping to get one of these cards, and then someone shows up saying that they're there to give you that card would not be weird to invite them into your home. Uh, Back to the profile for a second. No two witnesses had the same exact description of who they thought was the killer, but a lot of people did give a similar description that included the suspect dressed as a nurse. So now investigators start looking into nurses, other healthcare workers, which was unfortunate since Juana, not a healthcare worker. Uh, If only they would have looked into highly skilled mimes suffering from terrible flatulence who wanted to be masked wrestlers. Then they would caught her, you know, immediately. Also, <laughs> the average height of a Mexican woman is five foot two, not three foot four. How hung up were some, <laughs> were some of you on that perceived fuck up? In your head, were you like, does he really think that the average height of a full grown Mexican woman is three foot four? That would mean that a lot of Mexican women are three feet or under. Has he never seen any Mexican women? Or maybe you were like, is that right? 
huh, I mean, I've, I've seen a fair amount of Mexican women and, you know, they do seem short, but three, four? I don't know. I mean, I guess it's not like I was asking for their height or, you know, asking them to hold still so I could, you know, measure them or anything, but maybe. Uh, now back to more murder. October 9th, 2003, 87-year-old Maria Guadalupe de la Vega is strangled again in the Benito Juarez borough. She's also tied up in the process of being tied up. Both her arms are fractured. Damn. 78-year-old Maria del Carmen Munoz Cote del Galvan uh, strangled to stethoscope October 24th in the, uh, again, the uh, Coyuhacan borough. 81-year-old Gloria uh, Enadina Rizzo strangled October 28th, 2003. Neighborhood not listed. Gloria's daughter, Veronica Rizzo, did an interview for the Netflix doc where she talked about her relationship with her mom saying it was kind of a bummer to see her go out like that you know i mean it's sad for sure but honestly i wasn't like i wasn't like that torn off about it i mean she was 81 let's be real it's not like she was some 20 year old with her whole life ahead of him or even a 30 or 40 year old all in all she had a great run so why why be sad i mean sure i could focus on her being strangled at the age of 81 but i would rather focus on her living a wonderful 81 years and 234 days when she wasn't strangled even one time and honestly what's worse Falling, breaking a hip, being unable to walk, dying slowly over like six months, or having some lady who seems pretty nice strangle you for like, I don't know, minute, two minute tops. We should all be so lucky. <laughs> no, she didn't say that. Eso esta jodido. Uh, no, Veronica, who went by Vero, said, I was her only daughter. Just imagine, I was always everything, right? I was her everything. She was demanding, but very warm. She really spoiled me. She gave me everything, right? Her love mainly. I was very happy to have her as my mom. She was the most indulgent grandmother that you can imagine. She took them out and traveled with them everywhere. Uh, A week before an event that changed my life, something amazing and magical happened. It was as if my mom could tell what was going to happen because she gave me even more love than she ever had before. At around 1 or 1.30, the phone rang and I saw there was my mom's number. This is in the morning, 1 or 1.30 in the morning. I froze, didn't want to pick up, you know. Roman, my partner said, answer the phone. Why aren't you answering? I grabbed the phone. Yes, mom, what's up? How are you? And then I heard the voice of my nephew who lived there. Vero, your mom died. Someone has strangled her with the cable. Vero said that the family asked the police to go into the house with them to collect strands of hair and garbage. She found a glass in the living room that had been recently used, put it in a bag for the police. This glass will become a key piece of evidence. It has a uh, full fingerprint from the killer on it. Thank God this family did not clean up the fucking crime scene right away. Uh, When she went down to the police station to speak with detectives, Vero said she saw her mother's name on a big whiteboard had a number next to it. She asked an officer what that was about and she was told because this could be the work of a serial killer. At the time of her death, her mother was applying for her senior benefits ID card. Vero's cousin said that an alleged social worker stopped by said she'd apply on Gloria's behalf. But she didn't even ask for her cousin's uh, ID. Very strange. Vero's cousin would work with a sketch artist to come up with a sketch of what the killer might look like. A month later, November 25th, the police publicly announced they are in fact looking for a serial killer. Unprecedented. First time in Mexico's history such an announcement has ever been made. They described the killer's MO saying that he, yes, he, targets elderly women by dressing as a nurse from the government assistance program, Cibale. Back in 2001, Andre Manuel Lopez Obrador had created a public aid program called Cibale, which gave citizens over, uh, over 75, around 70 US dollars a month, free public transportation and healthcare. Investigators now consulted homicide detectives in France. Uh, they will end up hiring some of them to teach a course to their investigators on how to catch a serial killer. Based on what they learned, the Mexico City uh, Department of Justice created a task force called uh, Parques y Jardines. 
Parks and Gardens. The name comes from the fact that investigators at the time believed the killer found his victims in local parks and gardens, since many of the murders occurred near public parks. The task force ended up producing 64 different sketches of the killer. They will distribute many of these sketches via 70,000 pamphlets and posters placed in government offices and public transport. Also organized surveillance by federal police who did patrols in parks and gardens. I feel like 64 different sketches is at least 60 too many. I mean, I guess maybe too much info is better than, you know, not enough. But if your suspect might look like one of 64 different kinds of faces, what is the point in even releasing any of those sketches? I mean, you clearly have no fucking clue what the killer looks like. Uh, The following is a translation from one of the posters uh, task force investigators used to help catch the killer. Attention. How can we prevent not falling for deception? There are people who can pass for promoters of different services, nursing, therapies, phone supervisors, cable, water, electric energy, gas, and others. You could be approached in stores or commercial centers, in the street, the entrance of your house, of your building, or housing unit. If you feel like you're in danger, ask for help from a person you know and have the most confidence in. Recommendations. Don't give information to strangers. Don't let a stranger enter your home. Don't mention that you live alone or are alone. Most importantly, don't trust mimes dressed as mass wrestlers. We repeat, don't trust stinky mimes dressed as wrestlers. Maybe I didn't say that last one, but the rest were real. And so is this last one. If you hire any services from personal caretakers, assure yourself that it, is, that it is professional. Ask for employment verification or identification. If you have any doubt, ask for information from the Department of Justice of the Federal District. Based on crime scene evidence, the police determined that the killer strangled victims from behind with either their own clothing or other items from their homes. The bodies were typically found on a chair or in their bed. After the victim was dead, the suspect then stole a small item from their home, often religious items like images of saints, crucifixes, and Bibles. Tokens, right? Trophies. Killer's primary motivation was clearly not financial. Sometimes money was found to be missing, sure, but not always. Killer was clearly driven primarily by anger towards hatred of elderly women. Also, remember those 64 different sketches? All sketches of dudes at that point or faces believed to belong to a dude. When the task force began searching for El Mataviajitas, they still strongly assumed the killer was male, a white, heterosexual male, to be very specific. Why? Because most serial killers from other countries, like the U.S., white, heterosexual males. <laughs> very funny to me uh, to do that in a country where most people are not white. All right, everybody, listen up. Whoever's killing our nanas, most likely not someone from Mexico. No fucking way. We don't do sick shit like that. We can't. Not to grandmas. It's impossible. Impossible. I've literally never met, not once in my life, a single Mexican who hates grandmothers. <laughs> Can you imagine? Impossible. Nida Conya. Pollo Reneo. Zapatos de Crocodile. Antonio Banderas. These crimes, in my opinion, have America written all over them. So many sick fucking white dudes up there. Dementes gringos. And they do this kind of shit all the time. Bundy, Gacy, Kemper, the Green River Killer, Jeffrey Dahmer. And now whoever's doing this. Keep your eyes peeled for a creepy fucking white dude. This is the kind of shit those sick fucks live for. Dios mío. Del taco chipotle. <laughs> when the Department of Justice announced there was a serial killer, Deputy Prosecutor Renato Sales Heredia told the public, more than 90% of serial killers are men with average or superior intelligence who have suffered physical, psychological, or sexual abuse who come from unstable or disintegrated families, and who since childhood have shown tendencies towards fetishism or sadomasochism. Uh, Chief Prosecutor Bernardo Batiste described the killer as having a brilliant mind, very astute and cautious. Criminologist Martin Barone 
said that most serial killers are maniacs of order, fetishists with perfect control of themselves, high IQ, stable job, childhood emotional disorders, married, and with kids. Uh, I feel like Barone uh, should have been fired immediately <laughs> after making that assessment. Gary Ridgway, Jeffrey Dahmer, high IQs? Uh, nope. Kept themselves in perfect control? Uh, not even close. Dahmer kept a rotting head and a pair of severed dick and balls in his work locker for a while. That's not a guy in perfect control of himself. Gary Ridgway had an IQ of 82. Not a genius, just a dumb asshole able to perform a repetitive task well. And his repetitive task was picking up sex workers, you know, people you can easily get to come into your vehicle, overpowering them through brute force, then dumping their bodies in the woods. He was a fucking dumb bully, dumb monster, good at keeping secrets, secrets, uh, not a mastermind. Stable job, married with kids. Think about the recent Riverside killer, William Suff, Mr. Tit Chili Cookoff winner himself. He had a lot of different jobs, a lot of different relationships. The trailside killer, David Carpenter, could not keep a job or a relationship. And I could go on and on and on. Author Vargas Cervantes wrote, Descriptions by police and Baron of El Mataviejitas reveal more about their beliefs, about serial killers' characteristics, beliefs imported from the United States, than about any fact-based understanding of their manhunt's focus. Bingo, bango, a perfect assessment. Hail Vargas Cervantes. However, authorities did believe that the killer had a deep resentment towards a woman in his life because of childhood abuse. Substitute his for her, and, you know, that's correct. Interestingly, at least two witness accounts describe the suspect as definitely a woman, with one witness describing the suspect as tall, 1.7 meters, robust woman with black hair. Another saying, I believe it was a woman. Excuse me. Uh, she was blonde, short-haired, used, gla- uh, used glasses, had a bag. Both of these early witness statements were pretty accurate, other than Juana being uh, taller than that. She was... Uh, closer to 1.8 meters tall, 5'9". Both statements ignored. Uh, if you look online, Juana's height is listed anywhere from 5'5 five five to 5'9". So many varying reports. I trust 5'9", uh, followed by reports of her being 5'7". Uh, it seems like she was at least 5'7", at most 5'9". First official sketches made public in December of 2003, a month after the police declared that the killer was a male homicidal dressed as a female nurse. Sketches distributed throughout the city, Search efforts uh, concentrated in middle to lower middle class neighborhoods. The police also in December publicly stated that the killer was a travesti, which translates into transvestite. Author Vargas Cervantes defines this as a gender sex identity used for subjects who, having been assigned the male sex at birth, have chosen to identify themselves within a range of versions of femininity. In Mexico at that time, uh, travestis were associated with being lower class or being sex workers. And yes, I know the term transvestite is considered offensive. Uh, here, its use, I feel, is important because it shows where the investigators' heads were at with their investigation. They were just so sure it was a guy that when descriptions came in of the suspect dressed like a woman, looking like a woman, they still did not think the killer could possibly be a woman. The suspect had to be a man dressed as a woman or maybe a man who's transitioning into being a woman. Now let's move on to 2004. Big year for the Mataviahitas case. Three high-profile arrests regarding this case occur this year. January 9, 2004, a nurse, a female nurse named Matilde Sanchez Gallegos arrested in question on suspicion of being La Mata, Mata Viajitas. The city's Metro newspaper had just published one of the first composite sketches of La Mata Viajitas. Fucking nailed it that time. On the front page, and a pair of officers who purchased the paper were looking at it and saw a woman at a bank who matched the sketch. So they arrested her. Uh, Matilde was put in a room with the one-way mirror Known witnesses were brought into the station to look at her. None of them identified her as a suspect. She was released 15 hours after being picked up. No charges were filed. 
Prosecutor Bernardo Batiste uh, announced that her prints did not match prints found in a few of the crime scenes and issued a public apology. And since they were looking primarily for a dude, I'm guessing most of the investigators were not surprised that she was released and the arresting officer, or officers who picked her up uh, probably had their balls busted for arresting a woman. April 1st, 2004, 39-year-old Araceli Vasquez Garcia, another woman arrested, connected to 10 home invasion robberies and one homicide. Funny that most investigators still convince the killer's a dude, but the first two people they arrest uh, are women. This poor woman, holy shit, does she get scapegoated hard. Uh, some police thought for a moment that she was La Mataviajitas because she pretended to be a nurse to enter elderly women's homes and steal from them. Four elderly people who were tricked with the promise of financial aid cards identified Araceli. She's also linked to different cases based on fingerprint evidence, but she never tried to hurt those four people. Uh, the police found a white coat, wig, ID card from the National Institute of Old Age inside her home. Veronica Rizzo, daughter of victim Gloria uh, and Adina Rizzo Ramirez said that Araceli had a watch in her possession that looked pretty similar to her mom's missing watch. It was reported that Araceli's fingerprints matched the print on the glass found at Gloria's crime scene, but that was not true. Uh, the fingerprint belonged to Juana Barraza and Vasquez never charged with that crime. Araceli, still in prison right now, uh, ever since her arrest, she's denied being a killer, but admitted to several robberies. She's insisted that the police had the wrong woman, but was charged with the murder of a woman named Margarita Aceves Cazada, who was killed January 5th, 2004. She was sentenced to 23 years, nine months for murder. 75-year-old Margarita had been strangled with a cable from a radio alarm clock. Her crime scene looked exactly like the crime scenes of so many other Lady of Silence murders. On the day of her murder, Margarita's neighbor, Hamilda, was outside sunbathing when she spotted a woman dressed as a doctor, described her as being short, light brown skin, straight yellow hair, uh, doctor asked if she knew any retired people who lived alone because their pension uh, would uh, be increased. She pointed the doctor in the direction of Margarita's home. Three more witnesses saw the woman dressed as a doctor, saw her asking Margarita for her ID. Margarita agreed to let the woman into her apartment. Neighbors were surprised to see that Margarita's windows were still open at night and there was no lights on inside. A neighbor's husband entered the apartment with his set of keys, found her dead body. On January 6th, four eyewitnesses Agreed on the physical description of the doctor, Margarita's neighbors were called in to see if they recognized Araceli Vasquez, not identified. None of the eyewitnesses thought that Araceli was the killer. One witness uh, said the suspect was actually much taller, like uh, Juana's height. During the search of Araceli's home, investigators found the watch that was identified by Margarita's niece. Per the prosecutor's office, this plus other items found inside her home would constitute the main evidence used against her. Araceli claims these items were planted in her home by the team of prosecutor Guillermo Zayas. Uh, in support of Vasquez's claims of innocence was the fact that the murders continued and increased in number after her arrest. And also Guillermo Zayas, corrupt as fuck. More on him in a bit. Another suspect, a man this time named Jorge Mario Tablas Silva, arrested September 12th, 2004. Suspected, again, of being El Mataviajitas because he dressed as if he were a nurse for the Sivale program and would wear women's clothing and a wig. He maybe suffocated one woman with a pair of tights or maybe was just really mentally ill and they scapegoated him as well. The second suspect in the murders of these women uh, who most experts think had nothing to do with the killings, or I guess the third suspect, I guess that one, you know, real brief, uh, will be tossed quietly into a prison and left there to rot. Tablas was charged with two murders. The prosecutor's office suspected him of eight more. One of his alleged victims, 66-year-old Maria Eugenia Guzman Noguez, he promised to give her financial support, uh, one of those financial support cards. 
also linked to the May 1998 murder of Maria Amparo Gonzalez Salcida, the uh, first Mata Viajitas case from May of 1998. In a journal left behind at the crime scene, he wrote, I know I am the Apostle Juan, the ghost of whom my mother told me about through a spiritualist session. Okay. Uh, also wrote that his murderous acts were committed by an entity called El Maligno, uh, the evil. Once again, investigators thought they had captured the serial killer, but there was no conclusive evidence to prove his guilt. Pablos later will insist when he's uh, not in the middle of a fucking psychotic episode that he was innocent and that his prints were not found at any of the crime scenes. He's right about that. His prints not found at the crime scenes. In fact, in the official report on one of the murders he was convicted of, the prints of that crime scene matched Juana Barraza, not Topless. This dude was mentally ill. Probably been reading about the murders in the papers or something. Nevertheless, Topless will be sentenced to 61 years in prison for two murders he very likely did not commit. He died in prison, professed his innocence until the end. Very sad. Uh, just like in the case of Araceli Vasquez, uh, the murders will continue after Topless is arrested and increase in frequency. Uh, before we get to the 2005 murders that followed these arrests, let's first look at what Juana was up to in 2004. October 24th, a 70-year-old woman named Maria Dolores Martinez Benavides was strangled in her apartment again with a stethoscope. Twelfth little old lady murder of just that year. Witness Judith Vasquez said that Maria often left her door open when she got home from work in the afternoon and then closed the door when she was ready for bed. A female suspect who looked, I don't know, exactly like Juana Barraza sat with their doorman and chatted with the neighbors, asking which of the building's residents lived alone. When she learned that Maria Dolores lived alone, she befriended her. About a month later, Maria Dolores was found strangled in her apartment with a phone cord. The body of another victim was found 16 days after the discovery of the murder of Maria Dolores, 83-year-old Margarita Arredondo Rodriguez. She'd also been strangled. Margarita's granddaughter, Alejandra Alde, said that her grandmother had recently suffered a fall inside her apartment, could no longer leave to run errands. She asked her to move in with her, but Margarita refused, so Alejandra moved uh, in with her instead. Alejandra left for work early one morning when her grandma was still sleeping. She always called Margarita around three or four in the afternoon to check on her, which she did this day. Uh, grandma didn't answer. Margarita's neighbors, Patricia and Omar, were having lunch around noon that day with Omar's parents. His parents wanted to close the window while they ate, and when Omar uh, stood up to do that, he saw someone rifling through Margarita's drawers. The two stared at each other. Omar later recalled, the look in her eye was harsh, cold, disturbing. Later that day, not sure why Omar didn't call the police when he saw a stranger rifling through his neighbor's drawers, but I guess she was just like a nurse. Alejandra came home from work. She'd forgotten her keys, so she rang the doorbell so her grandma could let, uh, you know, come in. Or, or excuse me, she forgot her keys, so she rang the doorbell so her grandma could let her in. But then Margarita, of course, did not come to the door. All the lights were off inside the apartment, which was not normal. Alejandra went to a neighbor for help. Neighbor came over, shouted Margarita's name. Still no one answered. Now extremely worried, they decided to break a window to get inside. After she entered her and her grandma's house, Alejandra saw the back bedroom had been ransacked. Then she heard two people call out, she's here. Neighbors discovered Margarita's body. She had been beaten. Seemed as if she had made an effort to fight back. And then she was strangled. Investigators found fingerprints on jewelry boxes, uh, found blood on one of the living room cushions. Jewels and money were stolen from the home. Margarita kept jewelry hidden amongst her clothes, but it seemed like the killer knew exactly where to look or had just spent a lot of time in the home going through all of Margarita's things. Now let's move on to 2005. In July of 2005, after eight other murders earlier that year, the killer left behind a full fingerprint inside her ninth known victim of 2005's home, whose name is not listed in either Mexican or U.S. sources. The victim's killer pretended to be a paramedic, asked to see a copy of an x-ray uh, the victim kept in her home. 
And then she ended up leaving a perfect print on that x-ray. The victim's son just happened to drop by, saw someone fleeing the scene. The print matched partial prints from five other cases. August 25, 2005, the police distribute two new sketches of the suspect around Mexico City. Vargas Cervantes pointed out in her book that the text under the sketches used masculine plural pronouns, implying the killer was a man, even though the police had now already arrested a woman on suspicion of, well, two women on being suspicion of being the killer, and more witness descriptions of a woman kept pouring in. Many on the task force still could not accept that a woman could be doing this. By early October, 46 people had been fingerprinted and photographed based on their resemblance to the composite sketches. Over 300 people had been interviewed after witness reports uh, reported that they resembled the sketches. Now the police presented a physical and psychological profile to the public. The physical profile described the killer as a man dressed as a woman or a robust woman dressed in white, height between 1.7 and 1.75 meters, robust complexion, light brown oval face, wide cheeks, blonde hair, delineated eyebrows, approximately 45 years old. Uh, between 1.7 and 1.75 meters translates to between 5'5 and 5'7. According to the psychological profile, the suspect was a man with homosexual preferences, victim of childhood physical abuse, lived surrounded by women. He could have had a grandmother, uh, or lived with an elderly person, has resentment toward that feminine figure, and possesses great intelligence. <laughs> That's a very uh, specific, interesting profile. There's, there's got to be some translation problems here. <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't see the original Spanish, or otherwise I would translate it perfectly since I'm fluent, obviously. But uh, this is so weird. Important announcement. The killer could have had a grandmother. I'm not like a genealogy expert or something, but I'm 99.99% sure that 100% of us humans have grandmas. And I'm 100% sure that 100% of us could maybe have had a grandma. If true and not a translation fuck up, this is the least helpful detail I've ever heard of coming from his criminal profile. Dude, I think John did it. Why do you say that? I just found out he has a grandma. Oh, damn. Holy shit. Just like they said the killer would. But what about Tommy? Uh, Tommy? No, no, no. Tommy's never once talked to me about his grandma. Honestly, I'm not, I'm not sure he even has a grandma. Yeah, but could he have a grandma? Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, I guess he could. Bingo! We can't rule him out. Uh, Also in October, on the 18th, Juana claims one of her oldest victims, 92-year-old Maria de los Angeles Repper. She's strangled. Found in a room, been strangled with an unspecified article of her own clothing. Uh, October 24th, 2005, the Mexico City police arrested anywhere from 38 to 49, depending on the source, male sex workers who identified as women, some of whom uh, were surgically transitioned into changing their gender, as suspects in the El Mataviajitas case. They still don't want to accept that anyone born with a vagina could possibly be killing these women. How could a woman strangle anyone with their fucking weak little woman hands? Everyone who was arrested was photographed and fingerprinted. None of their prints matched the ones on file. None of their photos resembled the composite sketches. All of them were released. The task force was grasping at straws. There was a lot of public backlash over this mass arrest. Prosecutor Bernardo Batiz uh, claimed there was no discriminatory intent in the mass arrest and said the serial killer might not be a travesti, but we are sure he is transgenero, uh, transgender. Uh, For fuck's sake, he knows. He's positive. There's literally zero chance that whoever is killing grandmas was born a female. (laughs) How many of these people felt like idiots once Juana was arrested for being so arrogant in their incorrect assumptions? Probably not as many as I would like. I've noticed that a lot of people who are so cocksure like this, when they're proven completely incorrect, they just kind of like brush it off. They just kind of act like them being proven wrong just really didn't happen. 
and just immediately move on to the next thing they are so sure about. When Alma Dalia, a transgender sex worker who was one of the people rounded up and arrested, was interviewed, she recalled, at a certain time, we went to the meeting spot where we work. I found it strange to see patrol cars, but I didn't think it was important. And I arrived at the spot with the ladies and we were all talking. There are many patrol cars back there. The trucks of the famous riot police officers, we never imagined it was an operation against sex trade work. And they started to come to the spot where we gathered from the left and the right sides. And they started making arrests. Uh, Orcadia, another transgender uh, worker said, those who resisted or said, tell me why or what's going on. Pardon the language, but we were fucking forced to go. Once inside the vehicle, they used tear gas. Don't look at me. You are so fucked, they said. And they kidnapped us because at that moment, we didn't know the cause of the operation. Almadalia estimated that between 80 and 120 people were arrested in the raid on October 24, 2005, and most of them booked into jail. Prosecutor Guillermo Zayez later denied this, said that no one was booked. They just wanted some fingerprints that night. I wasn't there, but I don't believe Zayas for a second. Uh, he comes across uh, to me uh, as an arrogant douchebag at least, and sure seems to be, as I alluded to earlier, corrupt as fuck. I, I looked into him a bit. There's a lot of allegations of him doing a lot of shady shit while he was a prosecutor. I don't want to derail this episode by focusing a lot on him since he's actually not a major character in the story. But in 2008, three years after this raid, when he supposedly condoned the abuse of a whole bunch of suspects who were only suspects because the task force was dead wrong in their assumptions over who the fuck the killer was, when he was no longer a prosecutor but now a precinct police chief in Mexico City, he was charged for 12 homicides and additional crimes related to another ill-advised raid he was in charge of. In this one... June 20th, 2008, he led a raid on the News Divine nightclub in northeastern Mexico City, had his men block the club's only working exit, which led to a deadly stampede in which nine patrons and three cops conducting the raid were trampled to death. Prosecutor Rodolfo Felix Cardenas, in charge of the initial investigation into him, said in a report that patrons at the club, most of them minors, should have never been rounded up and held for hours without being charged with anything. Many of them were beaten, stripped, uh, even photographed nude, despite there being no evidence of them committing any crimes. Zayas was fired over this incident, held in prison for a while, then released on bail. Then the charges were dismissed or something. Then he would be recharged for the murders in 2016 by another prosecutor, then exonerated in 2022. Uh, rumors of bribery and corruption followed his exoneration. The more I look down side roads with this case, it, it sure seems like Mexico's judicial system is corrupt as fuck. Like if you have the right friends or enough money, serious charges against you, they can just kind of disappear. Your trial just never happens uh, or people don't know what's went on in your trial. As long as you just, uh, you know, you going free doesn't lead to protests. It leads to a lot of media coverage. It leads to someone more important than you suffering politically or financially for you not getting in trouble. You can just kind of sidestep off into the shadows for a bit, lay low for a while and then resume your life almost as if nothing ever happened. But if you're poor and unknown, if you don't have friends in high places, if you're not the citizen of a powerful nation like the United States and can't attract a lot of media or foreign government attention, you're just fucked. The Mexican judicial system can just, you know, seemingly do whatever they want to, just throw you away and lock the key or lock you up and throw away the key. There we go. Uh, you can end up in prison without a trial and just kind of stay there. Uh, regarding the 2005 raid of the sex workers, head prosecutor Bernardo Batiz claimed, I never ordered a raid or a massive search. If the preventive police or the judicial police did something on their own, which sometimes they did, they had to confront on the streets what I only saw from far away in my office. This happens all the time, too. Uh, somebody definitely orders something to be done. The action results in public backlash or criminal charges. And then the person who for sure ordered it just denies they did that. You know, they just say shit like, what? 
Wait, what? My my guys did that? For real? Oh, fuck. Oh, sorry about that. I, I never told them to do that. They just, you know, they do shit on their own from time to time. <laughs> Those fucking rascals. <laughs> Eso esta, uh, jodido. <laughs> Dios mio. In the fall of 2005, Mexico City criminologist Patricia Payan, right, that female criminologist who uh, first thought these murders were the work of a serial killer, also the first member of the task force to be certain the murders were being carried out by a woman, Hale Lucifina, only member of the Mexican judicial system interviewed in the Netflix doc that really seems to have her shit together. Uh, when her superiors denied her request to work with an artist to create a 3D bust of what the killer looked like based on an increasing amount of eyewitness reports from new locations where more abuelas are being murdered, she figured out how to make the bust herself. Uh, she kept it in her fridge while she worked on it at home, kept it there until her daughters finally begged her to hide it somewhere else because it kept scaring the shit out of them. <laughs> when they'd forget about it, open the fridge to grab a snack and then about have a heart attack. I love it. Uh, I would want to keep the head after the investigation was over and use it in some kind of fucked up non-holiday version of Elf on the Shelf. But you just never know. You never know where the replica of Wanda's head is going to turn up next. Maybe in the shower. Maybe hanging from the ceiling by some fishing line directly above your bed at night. So when you wake up to use the bathroom, you're literally staring face to face with a fucking monstrous killer. Uh, Payan made the bus by comparing around 120 composite sketches, creating averages of the facial features. Some newspapers ended up printing some early photos of this bust. Uh, more witnesses would call, would then call investigators. Patricia would then interview those witnesses and based on similarities and descriptions, modify the bust further. Through her interviews, a new alternate physical description of the killer would be developed. 45-year-old female, 5'6", stocky build, photo of the bust would provide the description of her face. Uh, it's currently displayed at the Police Cultural Center in Mexico City, which has a feature on La Mata Viejitas. After Juana was arrested, uh, many would remark on how she looked very similar to the bust. You can find photos online of Juana uh, with this bust, and yeah, Patricia Payan fucking nailed it! Uh, Payan, excuse me, Payan also created a ge geographical profile by pinpointing where the murders took place. She saw the killer chose uh, victims near subway stations, figured that, that was because uh, she wanted to be able to make a quick escape, bounce another part of the massive city. As mentioned, the task force was called Parks and Gardens because investigators noticed that the murders occurred near Parks and Gardens, and thought that was part of the killer's M.O. They thought that the killer targeted elderly people in these parks, these gardens, offered to walk them home or assist them in some way, and uh, killed them once they got inside. Payan, not so sure. She thought the subway stations were more important to the murder locations in the parks. And when the DA's office presented their map to Gabriel Rajino, the Undersecretary of Public Safety, a man who literally went by the nickname of Tiger, like his coworkers, just straight up called the Undersecretary, Undersecretary of Public Safety Tiger, uh, he agreed with Payan. Rajino pointed out that there were several blocks between the victims' homes and the parks. He believed the task force should rule out their park and garden hypothesis because of the distance and because there were no activities in these parks targeted towards elderly people. When he looked at a road, at road atlas, he noticed that the crimes occurred in places connected to main thoroughfares, which again would allow for a quick escape. And before I move forward, something very funny to me about colleagues referring to the Undersecretary of Public Safety as Tiger. It's fucking weird to be cool with nicknames at that level of government. Like, like imagine getting a, a meeting with a mayor and when you address her as Mayor Anderson or whatever, she's like, ah, no, just call me Barracuda. Everyone calls me Barracuda. <laughs> and then she introduces the members of city council as, oh, that's a pigeon, snake, uh, doll hands, big perm, and snooky. That is some shit straight out of idiocracy. <laughs> this guy, fucking Tiger, also allegedly corrupt as fuck. During the 2018 trial of uh, Joaquin El Chapo Guzman, subject of Time Suck episode 239, 
Mr. Tunnel himself, the escape artist and former leader of the Sinaloa cartel, cartel accountant and star witness for the prosecution, Jesus Ronaldo El Rey Zambada Garcia, stated from the witness stand the cartel bribed Gabriel Tiger Rajino while he worked as the undersecretary for public safety uh, with a few million dollars. I buy it. Uh, Juana Barraza, just one of so many shady characters in the story. The tiger very likely took millions to look the other way. Uh, but also, you know, he took millions uh, so that the cartel would not kill him. I do understand how it would be so easy to be corrupt in Mexico. If the cartel offered me the choice of taking a few million dollars, looking the other way, or not having a few million dollars and probably ending up dead, for sure a good chance I'm going to look the other way. A uh, real good chance. Uh, let's move along to 2006 now. In early January of 2006, 100 Mexican task force agents took a 30-hour course led by three French police officers. Uh, that serial killer consulting I referenced earlier. The task force had been studying serial killers in other countries. They thought their serial killer was similar to uh, Thierry uh, Pola, who was known as the monster of Montmartre. In 1987, he was arrested and convicted of killing over 20 elderly women in France. Uh, Thierry was 24 years old when he was arrested. He was called a transvestite by the French press because he wore women's clothing when committing the murders. By the end of 2005, after a few false arrests and over two years of investigative work, the police felt like they were on the verge of finally arresting the real Mata Viajitas as the body count now rose to almost 50 victims. 17 of those victims had been murdered in 2005 alone. Another 92-year-old beaten, strangled with her scarf. An 85-year-old beaten, strangled with her pantyhose. A 91-year-old strangled with one of her own bandanas and then set on fucking fire after she died. An 80-year-old beaten, strangled with a belt from her robe. A 78-year-old beaten, strangled with some wire, and on and on. The police were on the verge of arresting Juana by the end of 2005, but her arrest would have almost nothing to do with task force investigative efforts and everything to do with a lucky break. January 26, 2006, Juana Barraza is arrested while fleeing the scene of her last murder. The victim, Ana Maria de los Reyes Alfaro, was 84 years old. Ana Maria lived on Yaso Street in Mexico City. She had a tenant named uh, uh, Joel Lopez. According to Joel, uh, January 25th was a normal day. He woke up to get ready for work, saw Anna Maria that morning. Uh, he worked late that uh, day, took the subway home. After exiting the subway, he turned the corner to turn onto Yassel Street. When he got home, he saw the windows, front door open, which was concerning. He whistled to get Anna's attention, but didn't receive a response. He decided to peek into her room to check on her, saw that all her drawers were open and clothes scattered everywhere. Turned to the left, sees Anna lying dead on the living room floor. She'd been strangled with her own stethoscope. And uh, he was relieved. I know it's fucked up, but he was relieved. Anna Marie was nice, but as much as it pained him to say it, he had grown to despise her. She was always complaining. She was constantly telling him how cold she felt. And she wanted to crank the heat, even when it was literally 100 degrees outside. He had a hard time sleeping at night because the house was so goddamn hot. He was always tired and cranky. She was also constantly offering him hard candy, mostly Werther's Originals, about 50 times a day. He fucking hated Werther's Originals. But if he didn't take her candy... She'd watch him, by the way, to make sure he would eat it. She would sulk. She would pout. She would cry. It was ridiculous. Muy ridiculo. He put on over 20 pounds since moving in, uh, had at least three new cavities, and was now pre-diabetic. Por el amor el Dios. Plus, all Anna ever wanted to watch was Wheel of Fortune. Pat Sajak had started to show up in his dreams. Strangely, Pat always, and I mean always, showed up as an evil killer. An evil, Satan-worshipping, kid-diddling, horse-fucking killer. Very strange. Joder Pasejak. He felt like he was going insane, but now, now it was over. Now Anna Marie was gone. He had the house to himself. No more Wheel of Fortune. No more Werther's Originals. He could finally turn on the AC. 
Sorry, lo siento. No, uh, he was shocked and saddened to find Anna's dead body. A uh, moment after spotting her corpse, he heard a noise, saw a middle-aged woman he was not familiar with in the house and his killer. The two locked eyes for a moment, neither speaking. The woman then turned, exited through the living room. She did not run, didn't seem panicked, just calmly walked out of the house. He ran after her, and uh, now she started to sprint as he started to shout, stop that woman. Some officers who were driving through the neighborhood had just happened to turn onto Yasso Street where they saw him yelling for help. They then spotted the woman running and sped up to catch her. One of the officers, after exiting the car and running on foot, managed to catch up and grab her just before she made it into an entrance to the subway. The woman asked why she was being arrested, then fought back, tried to hit the officer and break free. He managed to subdue her, but was surprised at how strong she was. The officer and the other uh, officer he was uh, with on patrol put her in handcuffs, heard from uh, Joel about Anna's murder, called her supervisor and said, we captured La Mataviajitas. Juana was wearing a bright red coat, carrying two plastic bags that contained a stethoscope, blood pressure monitor, list of beneficiaries of the Civale program, voter ID cards, food bank ID cards for seniors, a cell phone, a card for St. Lazarus, receipts for professional wrestling rentals, jewelry, got a lot of shit in here, a keychain for Juana's wrestling alter ego, La Dama de la, del Silencio, and an amulet for La Santa Muerte, the Holy Death, a shortened version of Nuestra Señora de la Santa Muerte, Our Lady of Holy Death. And that might be, could be, a shortened version of Nuestra Señora de la Santa Muerte Antonio Banderas. Our Lady of Holy Death Antonio Banderas. I mean, that version doesn't show up literally anywhere, but who knows? Uh, Santa Muerte is the goddess of a new religious movement. A female deity, a folk saint in Mexican folk Catholicism and neo-paganism. She is the personification of death. And those who worship her believe she can protect you, heal you, make you wealthy, even deliver your soul safely into the afterlife. The Catholic Church, numerous evangelical pastors, and others have condemned her worship and referred to her believers as cult members and occultists. More on Santa Muerte in a bit. Uh, the arrested suspect quickly identified as Juana Barraza Sampirio. After she's arrested, that undersecretary of public safety, Gabriel Rajino, spoke to Juana. And that bought and paid for cartel man asked her, tell me, what do you do? She answered with a sly smile. Well, I do lots of things. Then she denied murdering Anna Maria or anyone else. Although Rojino and most of the police still thought the killer had to be a man, and at the time of her arrest, many thought Juana couldn't possibly be the killer, Rojino noticed that Juana had very strong arms, big hands. He asked her what sports she liked. She told him she liked wrestling. The forensic team had already determined that the killer most likely grabbed victims in a headlock in order to strangle them. A common move in wrestling, and Rojino now left the room and told the other officers they had their man. And their man was a woman. Juana Barazia, the Lady of Silence was La Mataviajitas. Some other investigators were still so sure that the killer had to be a man, they had one a strip searched to check her genitalia. They truly expected to find a penis. Some real stubborn fuckers. Uh, nope, a woman, definitely a woman. Uh, it would quickly be determined that Juana's fingerprints matched prints from at least 10 crime scenes. It was reported that shortly after her talk with Rojino, Juana admitted to all the murders, then you know went back on that, said she didn't commit any of them, then did admit to killing Ana Maria de los Reyes Alfaro. She said she killed Ana Maria because she was angry, saying, quote, honestly, I lost it. Okay. Uh, Juana told investigators that she got inside Ana Maria's house by taking, uh, by asking her, excuse me, for a glass of water. And then soon she and Anna got into an argument over money. Juana said, I arrived at her house and she was going inside, opening the door. She was coming back for the market. And I asked her if she needed me to wash or tidy up her home. She said, not now. I said, please give me some water. She did, and she happily invited me to come inside. I checked things out, but didn't steal anything. 
wanted then asked her how much Anna would uh, pay her to uh, have some quilts made for her. Anna gave her the price. Juana uh, told her the price was too low, shot back with a much higher price. Then Anna told her, you want to make twice as much. And that was all it took. Juana was furious. She picked up a stethoscope that was lying on the living room table and strangled Anna with it. Now, did it actually happen that way? I, I fucking doubt it. Juana has proven herself to be full of shit, like almost every other serial killer who has ever been arrested. 99% of these fucks twist the story around even when they do confess to a murder or two to make the murder or murders, at least in their minds, seem you know justified somehow. And also to have the, you know, the murder seem more like an isolated event than a part of a larger pattern when they're trying to not be you know, committed as a, a serial killer or convicted. Juana, in typical serial killer fashion, also quickly spoke about the darker aspects of her childhood in an obvious ploy to gain sympathy. Right after what happened to her, how could she not kill an old lady? She spoke about how she was mistreated by her mother as a child, saying, my mom mistreated me badly. She used to hit me. She always cursed me. She gave me away to an older man. She said that that was why she hated women. Juana said, I know it's no excuse. I don't deserve to be forgiven by God or anybody. I did it. But just confessing to one murder. Then in a statement to the press after her arrest, she uh, tried to downplay Anna's murder. She said, I only killed one little old lady, not the others. It isn't right to pin the others on me. I know it's a crime. I did it and I will pay for it. But just because I'm going to pay for it, that doesn't mean they're going to hang all the other crimes on me. With all due respect to the authorities, there are several of us involved in extortion and killing people. So why don't the police go after the others too? I love acting like killing one grandma over her supposedly thinking Juana was charging too much for a fucking quilt. Wasn't that big of a deal. What the fuck is everyone so worked up about? Oh my God. Hablas en serio? I killed one little old lady. Uno. Do you have any idea how many little old ladies are out there? Thousands, millions. Do we really need to worry about all of them? You don't know. I mean, come on. They're knocking on death's door anyway. All I did with Anna really was gently open the door. It was probably minutes away from opening on its own. I pushed her through it. You're welcome. Fucking chill, everybody. Sierra la puta boca. February 2006, during her first court appearance, Juana pleads guilty to the murder of Anna Maria Reyes and not guilty to 10 additional murders. When Juana's neighbors are interviewed, they tell investigators that she was quiet, but an otherwise normal woman who lived with her two kids. Uh, some said she didn't really interact with anybody. Her hairdresser spoke with the media, said she found it odd that Juana wanted to change her look every week, but didn't read anything criminal into that. She apparently never spoke of the murders. She was getting pretty quiet. One neighbor did say that she found it odd that the inside of Juana's house was painted all red. It was messy. The bedrooms full of bags, shoes, clothing, so much clutter you couldn't easily walk around. She also had a large poster of herself wearing her Lady of Silence wrestling gear hanging on a wall in the living room. And she had an altar to Santa Muerte at the entrance of her home. Holy death. A dead snake and an apple have been left as offerings to Santa Muerte. And the media had a field day with these details. Author Susana Vargas Cervantes wrote, La Santa Muerte, the Holy Death, is a popular Mexican personification of death as a calavera, a skeleton or skull a folk saint commonly associated with marginalized communities, mostly lower class. Newspapers reported that Juana trusted La Santa Muerte to protect her from arrest and that she practiced black magic to avoid arrest. The veneration of La Santa Muerte is associated by many in Mexico, primarily with sex workers, drug traffickers, other criminals, and people struggling with addiction or just, you know, struggling with poverty. Santa Muerte figurines and artwork depict a skeleton dressed in a white, red, or black robe with only her face and hands exposed. Typically, in one hand, she holds a scythe, like the Grim Reaper. In the other hand, she holds the world, a little globe. She also sometimes holds scales, hourglass, an owl, or an oil lamp. About 12 million people around the world worship Santa Muerte in different ways. 
Roughly 5 million of them are in Mexico with the biggest concentration in Mexico City. Some worshipers will also consider themselves Catholic and will attend traditional Catholic masses. Others worship only Santa Muerte. Since the middle of the first decades of the 2000s, uh, a few churches devoted fully to Santa Muerte have opened, uh, primarily in Mexico City. The cult of La Santa Muerte started to become popular in the mid-90s, and today its popularity is still growing. Uh, but it's been around in some form since at least the 1700s, and really since long before that, since it's rooted in Aztec beliefs. Uh, researchers trace idolization of San La Santa Muerte to the pre-Hispanic cults of the Aztec deities of death. Santa Muerte is a mix of Catholicism and pre-Hispanic religious traditions. When the indigenous people of Mexico were forced through torture, marginalization, and fear of execution to convert to Catholicism and abandon their native faiths, they learned how to hide their original beliefs. They blended them with Catholic worship. We've talked about uh, religious uh, syncretism before, before here, but it's been a while. Uh, religious syncretism involves the assimilation, the assimilation of several originally discrete traditions. It's the process of combining religious belief systems into a new system or incorporating other beliefs into an existing religious tradition. It can also refer to an established religion that has adopted beliefs from other faiths. Regarding worship of Santa Muerte, uh, also sometime, sometimes called Lady of Shadows or Lady of the Dead, and maybe sometimes Nuestra Señora de la Santa Muerte Antonio Banderas, there are all kinds of rituals that come from both Catholicism and Aztec beliefs, such as rosaries, uh, offerings of an apple and serpent, People also offer flowers, food, tobacco, marijuana. Uh, during a mass dedicated to La Santa Muerte, devotees might blow cigarette smoke towards the figure. Uh, worship practices not really formalized. There are altars for La Santa Muerte on various street corners around low-income neighborhoods in Mexico City. And many people have their own private figures in their home, just like Juana did. And to describe it more fully would require really a, a, a full episode, or at least his own short suck. Too much to get into here. For the purpose of today's story, just know that many Mexican Catholics at the time of Juana's arrest and when she was arrested, over 80% of Mexicans did identify as Catholic, found the worship of Santa Muerte to basically be synonymous with devil worship. And that made Juana evil. Malvada, right? Malvada and her uh, being evil was enough to explain why, why she did what she did. The main objective after uh, Juana's arrest was to understand thought processes and, uh, you know, why she killed elderly women. And for many, Santa Muerte explained her motivation plenty. You know, she was evil, case closed. She craved power, fame, fortune. The devil tricked her into thinking all of that could be hers if she just kept dedicating human sacrifices to Santa Muerte. And she was also a masked wrestler, a luchadora, a ruda, a bad girl. She craved violence. She liked to hurt others, right? She was rotten, case closed. Uh, Feggy Ostrowski from the National Autonomous University of Mexico Department of Psychology conducted several psychological, psychophysiological tests on Juana to try and get a bit of a more, uh, more of a scientific understanding of why Juana did what she did. Something more than just, she's evil. Juana was shown different images while her cerebral activity was monitored. Uh, Ostrowski concluded that Juana showed very little sensorial reaction to violent, loving, calm, or neutral images. The measure of her cerebral activity reflected very little sensitivity before the seriousness of the images she was confronted with. We showed her a chair, which for most people does not represent any sensation. However, she told us she felt something agreeable when she saw the chair because she could rest in that chair. But when she observed an image of a woman, she said she felt nothing. Uh, Ostrowski concluded that based on her testing, Juana shares with many serial killers psychopathic tendencies that could have been avoided if she'd had a better life. In her opinion, Juana's expression of remorse was just an imitation of genuine emotion. When she asked Juana, is it bad what you did? She responded, yes, it's bad what I did. But no one has the right to take the life, oh, because no one has the right to take the life of someone else. 
But Ostrowski, based on Juana's cognitive activity while answering, determined that she didn't really mean what she said, or rather didn't feel bad over what she did, right? She said, in reality, she did not experience in that moment or after any feelings of remorse or guilt for her misdeeds. In her 2008 book, Killer Minds, Violence in Your Brain, Ostrowski wrote a chapter on the uh, Mataviahitas case. She wrote that on the day of her arrest, Juana viewed herself as La Dama del Silencio while she was listening to news about El Mataviahitas. When she got into an altercation with Ana Maria Reyes Alfaro about how much she should be paid, quote, all the images of previous suffering came back. The abandonment of her father, the constant abuse of her alcoholic mother that gave her away at age 13 in exchange for three damn beers. I know the age kind of just varies. A lot of things just vary a lot in this uh, this one. Ostrowski felt that uh, La Mataviahitas was a beast inside Juana that killed victims with the force and corpulence of La Dama del Silencio. On March 31st, 2008, Juana Barraza convicted of 16 murders and 12 robberies. Uh, there doesn't seem to be much information online about a trial because per The Guardian, when it comes to Mexican trials, there are no juries and few public hearings. Instead, prosecutors and defense lawyers present their evidence to a single judge during largely closed-door proceedings that can last years. Sounds like a shitty system. Uh, how many times has a judge been bribed in a courtroom where no jury or reporters will be present to bear witness to any obvious bias or corruption? According to a 2013 survey conducted by Transparency.org called the Global Corruption Barometer, approximately 1,000 people in Mexico were surveyed, and the 1,000 people were picked from various socioeconomic groups in order to closely resemble the overall makeup of the total population. When asked if they or anyone in their households had paid a bribe in just the past 12 months, 55% of the respondents reported having paid a bribe to the judiciary. 61% reported a bribe paid to the police. That's fucking terrifying. One of his defense lawyers accepted that she was guilty of one murder, argued that she was just another scapegoat for the other cases. They wanted to have her declared mentally unfit to stand trial. However, in April of 2006, prosecutors told local reporters that her psychological studies, which were ordered by the defense, found her, quote, entirely conscious of her actions. Was she scapegoated like at least two other people? I don't know. Based on all the eyewitness reports that led to that 3D bust that looks exactly like her, I'm going to say she was not. Excuse me, but you can never can tell thanks to Mexico's broken justice system. Uh, Juana was sentenced to 759 years and 17 days for the murders. She received the longest prison sentence of any murderer in Mexican history, man or woman. After the sentence was issued, she said, may God forgive you, okay, and not forget me. Uh-huh. Uh, also announced her intentions to appeal all but one conviction. During the reading of the victim's names, Juana reportedly said, add some more. Come on. Alejandra Alde, the granddaughter of one of the victims, we met her before, spoke to Juana in court. Uh, Juana told her from behind a glass window, quote, yes, but you left her alone. Like when this lady said to her, like, you killed my grandma. Yeah, but you left her alone. Like it was your fault. It's fucking cold-blooded. Uh, Veronica Rizzo, grand, uh, the daughter of Gloria and, uh, and Adina Rizzo, Rizzo Ramirez, and the woman who found Juana's fingerprint on a glass told Juana, may God forgive you. Uh, Juana seemed surprised by her statement. Joel Lopez, the uh, tenant of Ana Maria de los Reyes Alfaro, told Juana, said Juana told him, excuse me, uh, do you know who my God is? And then she showed him a card of La Santa Muerte and said, this is my God and she protects me. All right. Juana spoke to the press shortly after she was arrested, then refused further interviews for years from prison. Finally, February 3rd, 2017, author Susana Vargas Cervantes traveled to a women's prison in the uh, Santa Martha uh, Acatitla neighborhood of Mexico City and was granted a visit with Juana Barraza, 
who was then 59 years old. Vargas Cervantes had already exchanged letters with Juana for, uh, with assistance from Lucia Nunez, researcher at the uh, Santa Martha uh, Acatitla Penitentiary Complex. Vargas Cervantes had tried to get into contact with Juana numerous times, and Nunez acted as a go-between. She wrote that she wanted to get to know Juana, hear her point of view. In her book, Vargas Cervantes wrote that Juana makes money in prison by selling food on Mondays. She's reportedly a great cook. Her prison nickname is Juanita. She seems very happy in prison. She seems feared, respected. Uh, she's much bigger than most of the other women. Doesn't sound like uh, she's uh, really feeling a lot of punishment. Uh, one of Juana's uh, scheduled prison activities, if you can believe this shit, is walking elderly women through the prison courtyard for exercise. She has been, quote, coordinator of the walking activity since 2010 and supervises about 15 elderly women. Why the fuck would she ever be allowed to do that? Like, what is even happening in Mexico when it comes to just about every aspect of their judicial system? In her interview with Vargas Cervantes, Juana complained that the old women didn't always obey her and often preferred to sit instead of walking, and that really pissed her off. I bet she wanted to literally strangle them to death. Uh, Vargas Cervantes wrote about seeing Juana in, in person, saying, I was immediately struck by her height, especially in comparison to most Mexican women. I had to lift my face to see hers, and my head reached only her chest. I was struck as well by how healthy her skin looked, how bright and luminous it was. Her hair, dyed copper blonde, was still very short, as it had been in the newspaper photographs that appeared the day she was captured. She was wearing electric blue eyeshadow, blue mascara, red lipstick. As we bumped into each other, she smiled. Juana spoke in a soft voice, and she smiled even with her eyes. At the time of this interview, Juana said her daughter was 27 years old and had completed her undergrad degree in graphic design. Vargas Cervantes learned from others that Juana's two remaining sons, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren would visit her, but she never saw her daughter. Uh, Juana spoke a lot about her kids, told Vargas Cervantes she was a good mother and had wonderful children. She said, I can be whatever they want, but not a bad mother. I've raised very good children. The author noticed that Juana could not walk very well because of a spinal injury she supposedly suffered during a wrestling match at the age of 35. Juana said she couldn't afford surgery to fix her back at the time of the interview. When asked why she agreed to an interview, Juana said that in the past she was scared. Quote, what else could I lose? They destroyed my life. They destroyed my wrestling career. I had nothing else to lose. I've been in prison for committing one crime, but I was afraid for my kids because when you are threatened with the lives of your children, then you do not want to talk. Did they threaten the lives of her kids? I don't know. I know the establishment of Mexico's law enforcement is pretty corrupt, but also the task force did not want to arrest a woman. Arresting Juana made a lot of them look like, you know, idiots. If they really wanted to pin the, the blame on somebody, they could have picked a, a much better suspect. And the little old lady killing stopped following her arrest, according to numerous media reports. Also, what wrestling career? Get the fuck out of here. She's still holding on to that bullshit. Backing up a bit now to July of 2015, that month at the age of 56, Juana married 74-year-old fellow inmate Miguel Angel, who was also convicted of murder and serving time at the same prison complex. So that's fucking cool. Uh, yeah, yeah, why not? Let two convicted murderers uh, marry each other. A lot of good stuff happening in this prison. Uh, the pair had been dating through love letters for about a year. <laughs> they were married with 48 other couples in a collective prison ceremony. Afterwards, the prison provided music, food, uh, cake for the reception. The marriages were part of a government program called uh, Lazos en Reclusión, or Bonds and Confinement. This was supposed to help inmates from form better personal relationships with each other. Uh, happier prisoners means less violent prisoners, I guess. I think that's the reasoning for that uh, nonsense. A year after the wedding, it was revealed that the two had never met each other before the wedding day. And uh, no surprise, their marriage didn't work out. They only got to see each other uh, three times for a total of 40 minutes. And after that, Juana told a deputy, uh, once we saw each other, the love vanished and she asked for a divorce. 
It's ridiculous. Uh, Juana could be released from prison theoretically in 2057 at the age of 100 because Mexican law states that a maximum of 50 years constitutes a life sentence. Uh, also, there was no death penalty in Mexico. Uh, it was outlawed less than a year before Juana's arrest in March of 2005. Last thing in this timeline, the documentary The Lady of Silence, the uh, Mata Viajitas murders, started streaming on Netflix July 27, 2023. The documentary team spoke with Araceli Vasquez, right? That poor woman who's been in prison for 19 years, despite there not being any real evidence she killed anyone. Araceli said in her interview, some years after my arrest, I was in prison when my fellow inmates told me the Mata Viajitas was just detained. I was shocked and said, why? Didn't they say it was me? I always stole things, but it had nothing to do with, but I had nothing to do with that situation. And they claimed she is the Mata, Mata Viajitas, Araceli is the killer. And they booked me at a press conference with more than 70 media outlets. According to uh, RSLE, homicide prosecutor uh, Guillermo Zayez said she was going to get away with the robberies so they should add the homicide charge to get a 42-year sentence. RSLE told him, no, you can't do this. I didn't kill anyone. I kept saying that I hadn't killed anyone. RSLE noted that a witness said she was not the killer. She was short with darker skin. Prosecutor Zayez said in his 2023 interview that, sure, RSLE did not completely match the description, but their duty was to investigate all the evidence they had. RSLE already served 17 years and nine months for burglary. Uh, prior to the documentary, is serving an additional 23, uh, 23 years for the murder of Margarita Acevas, a woman Juana Barraza almost certainly killed. Araceli professed her innocence in the murder cases saying, I simply wanted to be clarified. I was not the one who killed and the evidence is there. I've been silent for 18 years. I only stole. I've always said that. She's now housed at the same prison as Juana and reveals that the two have a cordial relationship. Could you be cordial with the person who killed someone whose murder you were blamed for, sent to prison for? It would be a constant living reminder of the injustice you're suffering. RSL claims she has never been given access to her case file. She's never heard anything from her now retired public defender regarding her appeal. She claims she doesn't even know the number of robberies for which she was sentenced for. She doesn't know the number, name of the victims attributed to her. Uh, Renato Salas said in his interview, if there was a judicial error there, then it would have to be repaired. And that already corresponds to the current attorney general's office and also corresponds to the judicial branch. There are mechanisms to resolve the issue. It is very unfortunate. But another of the terrible things in the context of investigations is that there are errors and those errors must be recognized and be able to repair them. Many times it's not done for media and political reasons. But you have to be able to recognize I was wrong. Well, that's a bunch of fucking nonsense. Uh, he just admitted that many times for political and media reasons to avoid bad press, to not have somebody's political ambitions thwarted. And it's the people, you know, they just get, uh, they get fucked over. And it's, uh, it's unfortunate. They just stay in prison for crimes they, you know, they didn't commit. And somebody should say, uh, lo siento, you know. Remind me to fucking never, ever get arrested in Mexico. No quiero morir en... <laughs> no quiero morir en una prisión mexicana. I don't know why I stumbled over that since I'm fluent. It's very possible that RSL Vasquez will be the second person to die in prison for being falsely charged with one of Juana Barraza's murders. Now let's get out of here. Vamos! Good job, soldier. You've made it back. Barely. Uh, before we wrap up with the takeaways, uh, quick, really important thing to think about. How many people in Mexico back in 2006, people who were just about to kill their grandma, were pretty bummed when Juana was caught and the killing stopped? I mean, they had the perfect opportunity to strangle Nana and blame it on somebody else before she could possibly change her will and cut him out, you know? Investigators took that opportunity away from them. I wonder if there actually was somebody who thought that. Oh, fuck! 
some guy in his apartment <laughs> screaming when he reads that morning's paper, then starts unpacking a backpack that has a nurse's uniform, women's wig, pair of nylon stockings in it, you know, he'd been using to practice strangling a dummy with. Guess I won't be inheriting a new house uh, this year after all. What a crazy story. Juana was probably the least interesting part of the story to me. Uh, I was more fascinated by the insane amount of corruption in the Mexican uh, judicial system and just how massive Mexico City is. Almost 2,000 different neighborhoods. Enorme. Also fascinating to me how fixated investigators were on thinking the killer had to be a dude. Even when witness after witness described seeing a woman. Nope, just a dude dressed up like a woman. Maybe a transgender woman, maybe. Even when the first two people arrested for possibly being the killer, uh, you know, uh, were women, a lot of law enforcement still thought the real killer was a dude. Even when Juana was arrested, she was strip searched in part because some officers were convinced there was going to be a dick in between her legs. Excuse me, also Santa Muerte did not realize so many people were worshiping the bony lady, which is another one of her real nicknames, a death saint. I guess a lot of her followers say her appeal lies in her non-judgmental nature, her supposed ability to grant wishes in return for pledges or offerings. There's got to be some crazy cult space in her worship, right? I, uh, hopefully we can find some and I can tell a story or two about him someday. Juana Barraza, she did have a terrible childhood, right? She had a terrible mother, terrible father. But then she became more terrible than the two of them combined when she started killing one elderly woman after another because she just never came to terms with her anger over what her mother did to her. She was very interesting to me in one way, the mime work, right? How it all came crashing down. No, uh, she was interesting in the sense that she killed in a way that has been historically almost exclusively reserved for men. She strangled female victims one after another. I cannot think of another female killer who worked alone, not pressured by a man, right, to go along with murders, who killed other women in this way. There have been a fair amount of female serial killers who have poisoned victims, but not strangled them, right? Not so violent like this. Oh, hoingy boingy, hoofda, hoofda. Belle Gunnis, subject of Times Like Episode 150, she was brutal in her killing, but she killed men, not women. Wana may not have been a uh, brutal bad girl wrestler in the ring, but she sure as hell did a lot of villainous shit wrestling in real life. Juana actually demonstrated for reporters and investigators on camera how she strangled the one woman she did admit to killing. She seemed very proud of herself for her technique, especially how she was able to kill the woman without ever touching her with her hands. She said she placed her forearms on her upper back to push her down while she pulled the ligature she used tighter and tighter and tighter, this wrestling move, right? She smiled when showing off this move. The Lady of Silence, not Mexico's first serial killing monster, but definitely one of Mexico's monsters. Que fuerte, por Dios. Antonio Banderas is hora de las comidas para llevar de hoy. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Numero uno. From 1998 to 2005, 48 or 49 elderly women were killed in Mexico City in the same manner. The victims were strangled with items from their own homes, and in many cases, they were robbed. It wasn't until 2003 that the police officially announced there was a serial killer, something the public had long speculated. The unknown killer was named El Mata Viajitas, the little old lady killer. The police launched the first serial killer task force in Mexico City in an effort to catch the perpetrator, who they assumed was a male. Numero dos, Juana Barraza suffered from an abusive childhood. At age 12 or 13, her mother gave her to an older man who would sexually abuse her for years in exchange for three beers. Uh, that led to her developing hatred and resentment for her mother, which she projected onto other maternal figures, who she then murdered over and over. Numero tres, before she was a killer, Juana Barraza maybe was, here and there a little bit, kind of a professional lucha libre wrestler. She called herself La Dama del Silencio, and she classified herself as Ruda, 
type of wrestler who doesn't use many technical skills during matches, a bad girl. Uh, even if she didn't wrestle professionally, she did have a wrestler's physique. She was tall and muscular and able to easily overpower her elderly victims. Numero cuatro. When Mexico's first task force formed to catch a serial killer, received, uh, received witness descriptions of the suspect as a woman, they had a real hard time wrapping their heads around the possibility that a woman could commit such brutal acts of violence. Rather than accept a woman was probably killing these abuelas, they told the public that the killer was a man dressed in a woman's clothing or a travesti, an individual who hated women because of abuse earlier in life. Numero cinco, nuevo información. Interestingly, another serial killer was arrested the same day as Juana in Mexico, January 25th, 2006. A man named Raul Ociel uh, Marroquin Reyes was arrested for the murder and dismemberment of gay men in Mexico City. He was known as El Sadico, the sadist, after his arrest. Uh, Sadico, I think, sorry. <laughs> of course it's Sadico. I know those words. A reporter from the paper La Jornada reported that it was a coincidence that he was captured by the federal police on the same day as Juana Barraza. Uh, Marroquin kidnapped six men, killed four of them. His accomplice, Juan Enrique Madrid Manuel, never caught. Marroquin met victims in cafes and bars in the Zona Rosa, a so-called gay enclave of Mexico City, and then would take them to a hotel or his apartment. He would torture the men for five to seven days. He's been compared to the butcher of Kansas City, right? Robert Padella. Uh, before strangling them, dismembering them, putting their bodies in suitcases that he then hit around the city. He would also reach out to the families of these men for reward money in exchange for returning their sons to them alive. Whether or not he got the money, you know, he killed them. The police were not searching for a serial killer in these murders at the time the bodies were found. Marroquin confessed to the murders after he was arrested and was then labeled a serial killer. Marroquin said that he did what he did, uh, excuse me, said that what he did was good because the victims were, quote, bad for society and perverted children. When he asked if he felt bad for their families, he said, I've never thought about them. True sociopath. Uh, he was sentenced to 280 years in prison, currently incarcerated in the exact same prison complex as Juana Barraza. Mexico definitely has serial killers. Time suck. Top five takeaways. The Lady of Silence, Mexico's first hunt for a serial killer, has been sucked. Espero que les haya gustado. Uh, muchas gracias to the Bad Magic Productions team for their help in making Time Suck. Uh, muchas gracias once again to uh, Queen of Bad Magic, Lindsay Cummins. Uh, muchas gracias to the Art Warlock, Logan Keith, for recording today's episode. Muchas gracias to the Space Lizards on Patreon for continuing to support this show and get early release ad-free episodes. Muchas gracias to the all Seen Eyes, moderating the Cold of the Curious private Facebook page, the Mod Squad, making sure the Time Suck Discord channel stays fun. And muchas gracias to everyone over on the Time Suck subreddit and Bad Magic subreddit. And now, let's head on over to this week's Time Sucker Updates. Vamos! Antonio Banderas. Updates. Get your time sucker updates. Uh, I've been getting a lot of feedback from the Aaron Hernandez suck past couple days. So let's start with an email from super sucker Kevin Smith, who wrote in with a sad personal connection to the episode, wrote in with the subject line of Aaron Hernandez time sucker update. And here is what he said. Hello, suck master Dan. My name is Kevin, longtime listener, part-time assistant to Daddy Cummins Murder Squad. First time emailer. As the subject line states, this pertains to Aaron Hernandez. Growing up as a massive Boston sports fan, especially the Patriots and Bruins, I remember the story unfolding before our eyes in real time. His arrest, the trial, and his suicide. Little did I know that I'd have it happen to me personally. On October 3rd, 2000, or 2022, my brother, who played football from the age of 6 to 18, committed suicide. He was 32 and had CTE. 
This was after he was on the phone with me and admitted to having done some absolutely abhorrent things, things I will keep private. He ended his life five to seven minutes after he hung up. Living in Minnesota, I could not go and stop him. It's a hole I'll never be able to fill, especially having to live with the acts he committed. I wanted to say thank you for covering this story and not holding back on the details that CTE presents. It's an important conversation that needs to happen because the NFL and NHL want to do everything they can to suppress the topic because they know they contributed to the problem. I also want to thank the Cult of the Curious Facebook group for being so open and supportive of me telling my story. It's not easy to show empathy for stories as messed up as these, but it's greatly appreciated. My brother was my best friend. I'm glad they gave me the chance to tell his story and talk about the wonderful man he was before CTE took over. Thanks again for everything you do. Wife and I love the shows. Look forward to them every week. Until next time, Hail Nimrod. Uh, Kevin, first off, so sorry for your huge loss. And yeah, thank you for sharing that here. Uh, thanks for sharing the story of someone who stopped playing at the age of 18. No college football, no pro football, but CTE all the same. Uh, what a terrible, terrible thing to literally lose your mind, to look like you used to look, but no longer be the same person, no longer uh, have the same level of control over your actions, to have your personality permanently altered in terrible ways, to end up doing terrible things that you very likely would have never done had you not had your thinking muscles so horribly mangled. And no one can see how mangled it is, right? Not even you know what's happened inside to you. Uh, yikes. Uh, glad you enjoyed the show. Yeah, and sorry again. And I didn't really realize, uh, actually, the NHL was a major problem there. I'm just not a big, um, haven't really followed hockey that much. Uh, now, Connecticut sucker. John Roberts has some inside info. He wrote in with a subject line of Aaron Hernandez update, and here's what he said. Hey, Dan, feel free to use my name if this makes it on the show. I'm calling about the Aaron Hernandez suck. I'm from Connecticut, and I work with a guy who grew up in Bristol that played football in high school with Hernandez. His father also grew up in Bristol, and he uh, knew Aaron's dad, Dennis, his mom, Pat Sajak, <laughs> I mean, Terry, from back in the day. They both corroborated most of what you talked about, but felt like the domestic abuse in the Hernandez household was overly exaggerated. But who knows for sure? Maybe they were just really good at hiding it. One discrepancy is that my buddy doesn't think Aaron was involved in any homosexual activities in high school. He said the guy who claimed to have a relationship with him was kind of a weird dude who seemed like he was trying to insert himself into the story. Doesn't really matter one way or another, but I thought I would add that. The crazy part, though, isn't just that he played football with Aaron Hernandez, but also with two other convicted murderers all at the same time. Yeah, these guys were all on the same team. We had other people write in about this. One guy was named Alex Ring, who shot his wife, then himself, in a murder-suicide in 2014. Other was named Nicholas Brucher, who in 2022 shot two Bristol police officers in an insane shootout. He placed a fake 911 call, then heavily armed and dressed in camouflage, hid in his yard, ambushed the two officers. Then he continued to repeatedly shoot them point blank even after they were dead. It was super tragic and it was a huge deal around here. It may have even made national news. Maybe someone should look into the quality of the helmets they were using at Bristol High in the mid-2000s. Also, randomly, one of my longtime friends is named Jeff Cummings, although I'm fairly sure he's never been married to Pat Sajak. <laughs> he plays guitar for a badass band named Sworn Enemy, so shout out to them. Anyway, Dan, keep up the great work. Small side note, I recently got sober from decades of pretty bad alcohol abuse. And I want to let you know that all your inspirational messages are a huge part of me finally getting my shit together and quitting for good. That's oh, Fuck yeah, that's awesome. So I just want to remind you that you uh, really are helping random people out here in the suffers. Thanks, Dan. I'll always keep on sucking. John, P.S., how have you not been contacted by Pat, Pat Sajak's lawyer yet? <laughs> John, being contacted by Pat Sajak's lawyer would be a, a life highlight. If it happens, I will definitely share it on the show. And, and, and if my lawyer says I can keep talking about Pat Sajak, I for sure will. Uh, that's fucking crazy. The two other players from Bristol who played on the same team 
uh, were that kind of crazy. Yeah, they should check and see what kind of helmets they were using. Holy shit. Also, I don't know if those two officers being killed that way did make national news. And how sad is that? It is sad. You know, I find it so sad that when officers receive like brutal deaths like that, their, their names often don't make it into the news. But when a bad officer does something equivalent, that gets fucking blown up all over the place. It's definitely not fair. Um, yeah, we are not doing wonders uh, here at TimeSec for sending tourists to Bristol right now <laughs> or helping convince anyone to move there. I'm sure it's a better place. I hope it's a better place than it seems in some of these uh, uh, messages. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. That is um, fucking crazy. And congrats again, man, on getting sober. And I'm glad I could be a little part of that journey. Now for another angle on this. I love this message. A football-loving sucker, Jorge Saldana, uh, writes it with the subject line of football coach. And here's what he said. Suck it easy, master sucker. Sorry for the long email, JK. First off, I'm a loyal bad magician. I love time sucking scared to death. Thank you for continuing to ensure quality content that keeps us curious and scared. I typically agree with your point of view, but this was the first suck that I did not see eye to eye with your point of view on the game of football. I'm a head football coach at a high school in a small farm town in California where the majority of the population is Hispanic. Yes, football is meant to be played violent and it is a dangerous sport. So is wrestling, basketball, grappling, etc. You get my flow. I believe football builds young men in life. This sport teaches so many life lessons like love, failure, work ethic, toughness, discipline, etc. Yes, bad things happen in sports and the volume of hits to the head are what led to CTE as you stated. It is our job as coaches to be innovative with the game. We have to acknowledge that if we coach the sport how it was played years ago, we will be setting up our boys to fail and plenty of opportunities to gain hits to the head. I agree that the NFL is all about the moolah and that adding a game was a complete slap to the face of keeping men safe that play the sport at a professional level. Colleges do a good job with this in keeping the players fresh and limit their contact by the way they practice. I can't speak for the NFL or college ball, but I do my best to limit the contact from my young men. Example, Mondays through Thursdays, we never practice in full gear. Two days of the week, we are in shells, helmet shoulder pads. We use the guardian caps around our helmets all week except game day. We never tackle each other to uh, ground to the ground or run drills that directly lead to concussions, Oklahoma drill. We use tackle wheels slash bags to work on our tackling. We teach and coach uh, the Hawk tackle. I can continue, LOL, but I think you're seeing where I'm coming from. The game of football has changed my life and the life of many. It is our duty as coaches to keep our men safe and continue to instill qualities that will help them through life. Love all your work. P.S. Did you come across the former NFL player's comment to when he laid a big hit on Hernandez? LOL. Ryan Mountain said, Aaron told him, I'll kill you <laughs> after they got into a little scuffle. Keep on sucking, Jorge. Jorge, I love this message so much. Good on you for, I did not hear that about that guy telling him I was going to kill you. Uh, good on you for working to make this game as safe as possible. Uh, I bet I would have loved to play for uh, you, uh, you know, when I was in high school. Someone who clearly really cares about his players. And thank you for showing the other side of this argument. Yes, there are risks with playing football, but there's risk in so much of life. And there are also so many positives when it comes to playing organized sports. You know, my daughter Monroe has been playing softball, basketball for years now. Uh, she plays team sports pretty much year round and, uh, you know, throws in a little cross country and track in the past. She's 16, getting more serious about basketball. And it's been very cool to see her realize the value of hard work as she starts to become a much better player thanks to sticking with it for years. Thanks to really practicing, listening to her coaches. I just watched her play a game last night as I record this, Lindsay and I did, and she fucking killed it. And she was shit a couple years ago, but she killed it so much better. Then she was. Uh, she's boxing people out on rebounds. She's got post moves. She's aggressive on defense. She's got good form on her foul shots. She's starting to get a jump shot. You know, when she makes a good play, her teammates dap her up. I love to see this big grin on, pop up on her face. 
She's talking more on the court, learning to communicate with her teammates, learning to kind of take charge in moments. She's gotten her ass chewed for doing shit like snowboarding the morning of game days and wearing herself out, letting her teammates down. And now she's not doing that. She sprained her ankle, uh, you know, a few games back, had to sit out a little while, worked her ass off to get back on the court because her team needs her. Playing team sports has helped her tremendously. I've watched her character build, you know, her confidence, her communication skills. I love that she's learning the value of sticking with something, you know, perseverance, tenacity, giving it her all. I could go on and on. So I hear you, Jorge. Yodor C. Uh, thank you for the messages. Uh, or message. Thank you for the messages, everybody. And uh, we'll get out of here. Next time, suckers. I needed that. We all did. Adios. Thanks for listening to another Bad Magic Productions podcast. Scared to death and time suck each week. Please don't strangle any grandmas to death this week because your mom was a bitch and they remind you of her. That's fucking crazy. Eso es una locura. Just sigue uh, chupando. Bad Magic Productions. Domingo, Domingo, Domingo. In La Arena de la Ciudad de Mexico, the Lady of Silence takes on your sweet, sweet Nana! Who makes that alive? The Lady of Silence is bringing headlocks, chokeholds, and a truly murderous, psychopathic rage! Your Nana is bringing hard candies, soft hugs, and the best chocolate chip cookies in the game! Te venderemos el asentio al completo, pero solo necesitarás el borde! <laughs> pero solo necesitarás el borde! Is what I meant. Adiós. Your Space Coast vacation is preparing for liftoff. Start counting down now. 10, 9, 8, 7. It's time for a beach vacay that feels like heaven. 6, 5, 4. Come explore Melbourne and the beaches. 3, 2, 1. It's time for some rocket-filled fun. Count down to your best beach vacation ever on Florida's Space Coast. Launch your planning now at visitspacecoast.com. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, honey, you know your dad's world-famous chili. Yeah, the one that takes 24 hours to make. So I was trying to help out and bring the pot to the table, but it was like super hot. And then I um dropped it, and now the floor looks all, you know, stained with chili. Look, the point is, you guys cool with pizza for dinner? <laughs> honey? Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed.